throughout most of 2014, I've been either sick or injured. Right now, the Poker Fraud Alert server is either sick or injured. Something's been very wrong here for the past uh, two weeks or so, especially the last few days. That's why we've had to delay the show, and tonight we're going to attempt to do a show at a very late hour of 11 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time, 2 a.m. Eastern. The only people who might be happy about this time are people in Europe, because it's morning time over there. If you're at work in Europe on Friday, you can listen to this show live, where normally it's on in the middle of the night for you. So welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. There will be no friends tonight, probably, because we're starting so late, but you never know who will pick up as far as a co-host goes. I apologize for the extra two days and four hours or so that we're starting late. Tried to do the show on time on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., which is our new time, and the server was absolutely unusable. The Poker Fraud Alert server has been struggling, as I said, for about two weeks now. A lot of people are blaming this on a denial-of-service attack. I do not know for certain what's going on right now, but I do not believe it to be a denial-of-service attack from everything that I have examined on the server. I think the server itself is just malfunctioning, and it's been a very tough one to figure out. I've been looking at it. I've had other people looking at it. Uh, It's been very tough to figure out, and it's still having a problem right now. So if you're listening live and in the chat room, you'll notice it's very slow and very laggy. And uh, hopefully you're able to get through and listen live. I know some people are having a little trouble getting through to the live feed. Hopefully we will have this fixed by Tuesday, five days from now, March 4th, when the show will go again for next week's episode I'm not going to run another radio show like this, though. If it's in this condition, we're going to have to wait till the server is working again, or I'll have to get a, a new server. So, welcome, if you're here live. If you're here in the archives, that meant this went okay, and we at least got this thing recorded. So, a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. And I'm in a secret location. In addition to having to battle server problems, I'm not in the same location I usually am when I do this show. Hopefully I won't have issues with that either. I've only done a show from this location one time prior to this. But, you know, we've had such an irregular schedule since mid-December. This show used to be on, like, clockwork every Tuesday night. Every once in a while it would switch days, but every week you could count on this show being here. It hasn't been that way for a variety of reasons over the past two months or so. So I didn't want to skip a week, even with the server problems that we were having. So I squeezed this in on a Thursday night when I had something else to do, which is why we're starting late, and then the server is just, boy, it's having trouble. For those of you that know anything about servers... Right now, the load average on the server is 69. The load average I'm looking for is between 0 and 1, or maybe between 0 and 3, but 69 is just way off the charts, and hopefully it doesn't get much worse, otherwise the whole thing will go down. But we'll see. I'm going to give it a try. There's no free roll tonight, so I'm not going to go through any of the stuff of the rules of the free roll, or having to 
PM me or email me because there's no free roll to play. I canceled the free roll this week because the show's starting so late. I didn't want it to be unfair to people on the East Coast who will be either very tired or unable to play. So that will return on our next show on March 4th, on Tuesday, March 4th. Remember, our new regular time is 6.30 p.m., not 7 anymore, 6.30 p.m. Of course, tonight is nowhere near 6.30 p.m. So thank you to everybody who stuck by me on this one and showed up at 11 o'clock. Actually showed up at 10 o'clock, expecting the show then, but waited till 11 o'clock for this thing to start. If you want to get a hold of me tonight during the show, I really suggest you call or text me rather than go in the chat room because the chat room is just not working well. But texting works well. I already have two texts in here. You can text me at area code 775 372-8355 that's 775-372-8355 yes that's also the show's main call in number if you want to call me you can call either on the main number the one I just gave 775-FRAUD55 which translates to 775-372-8355 make sure to show your caller ID or you can call the famed Mount Charleston line the Mount Charleston line is an old 70s telephone, and a rotary phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, and it forwards to me wherever I am. 702-430-1808 is that number. 702-430-1808 is that number. Remember, that's the Mount Charleston line, not the Mount Gox line. If you call the Mount Gox line, I doubt you will get anyone. So that's how you can reach me. I'm also reading the chat room, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you go in the chat room, it'll be very, very slow. Your messages may not even appear there. It's a miracle this thing is broadcasting at all, and I just got kicked out of the chat room myself. <laughs> so It's going to be uh, interesting tonight, trying to get this whole thing to work. Let me give you the agenda for this evening. Hopefully we will get through it before the whole server comes crashing down. Well, I told you about Mount Charleston. Let's talk about a different mountain, which is Mount Gox. Mount Gox was once the biggest Bitcoin exchange. When I talk about an exchange, I mean it's the place that you would go to trade your Bitcoins for real money, or vice versa. You could trade Bitcoins with other people without using something like Mount Gox, but to get Bitcoins into cash, or cash into bitcoins, you had to go to Mt. Gox or another exchange like it. It was once very big, once very respected. It is now gone. Gone with all of your bitcoins and all of your money. It's gone. If you had bitcoins on Gox, if you had money on Gox, it is gone. Kiss it goodbye. This was such a big story that instead of Bitcoin being something we discuss at the end of our radio show that only a few people care about, this was a top story on sites like CNN, Fox News, and many others. Not just a story, the top story when Mt. Gox went down this week. It's a very interesting story, and for that reason, I'm going to talk about it at the beginning of the show instead of the end of the show this time. Someone on Twitter was worried I would spend three hours on this Mt. Gox thing. No, I'm not going to. 
I'm not going to very simply because this is a very mainstream issue. I'm going to give you my take on it. I'll give a quick summary of what happened, and that'll be it. If There's analysis of the Mount Gox thing all over the web, and I feel that's not the best use of this show's time to spend a long time on it. But I want to talk about it first because it's such a huge story. Another big story, but uh, not capturing the general public's interest as much, is Garden City Group, the company that has been tasked with refunding people's money on full tilt that got stuck on Black Friday, April 15, 2011. Garden City Group has contacted a number of U.S. full tilt players that have had their money stuck there for almost three years now and told them they can expect their refund shortly. Yes. But I'm not one of them. I heard absolutely nothing from them. So, since they did not contact me, I contacted them. And you will hear an eight-minute phone call of me calling Garden City Group and asking what the hell happened with my refund. This is not a prank call. It's not going to be funny. But I think it's interesting in that it'll give you some insight as to uh, what happens to other people who are not getting the refunds immediately. And I'm not an affiliate. I was never a Red Pro. I was never in any category that should have been denied. And guess what? I wasn't denied. But you can hear what my situation is when I play this pre-recorded call. It's pre-recorded for two reasons. First of all, they're only open during the day. So even if the show started on time, we wouldn't be able to call them live. And second, I don't want my personal information going across the airwaves. So I pre-recorded it. I censored out the stuff that you guys shouldn't hear. And I'm going to play it. What we talked about last week, I think, the idiot who took a chip, supposedly after he won a tournament, now I'm hearing it was during a tournament, but uh, an idiot who took a 25k tournament chip who ended up winning the tournament. At the time, the story was that he took it after he won. Well, he has been disqualified, and the second-place finisher is going to get the money and the points for finishing first. This guy's also been banned from Caesars. But if that's not enough, we have a copycat. Actually, not a copycat. That's a different story. Where we have the copycat is an idiot couple in Maryland who introduced fake chips into a tournament. Remember we had that situation with the guy who flushed the chips down the toilet in Atlantic City after using them to cheat in a Borgata tournament? Well, we have a couple in Maryland who got arrested for a poker tournament there who introduced really, really poorly made fake chips into that one. So I guess they thought this guy who flushed chips down the toilet was a bright guy, and they were going to do it too, and... uh worked out about as well for them as it did for the guy in Atlantic City. Speaking of things not working out, Infinity Poker. Once prank called by Chico Loco. Remember Chico Loco? He called uh, called up a... I think it was last week. He called up a scam computer fixing company. One of those companies that... Uh, 
sticks a phony message on your computer that you need to call them to get a virus off your computer and they sell you useless software that doesn't really do anything. So Chico Loco pranked one of those, but that's not what we're going to talk about this week. Chico Loco pranked Infinity Poker's owner before Infinity Poker came to exist. That's a small online poker website. That's when they were in the investment phase. They had not opened yet. They were guaranteeing a 273% ROA for for anyone who invested, which was ridiculous. So Chico Loco prank called the owner of Infinity Poker back in April of 2013. Well, looks like Chico was pretty smart to be making fun of Infinity Poker because Infinity Poker appears to be down and the player funds are gone. So we'll talk about what happened there and I will play again the Chico Loco phone call, which is now again very topical. So you'll get to hear what the guy told Chico Loco who pretended to be an investor into Infinity Poker, or a wannabe investor, and then we'll listen to what happened to, to uh, Infinity Poker in reality today. Very important online poker legality news. I guess it couldn't be that important if I'm burying it in the middle of the show, but still. Nevada and Delaware have formed their first, or it's the nation's first online poker partnership. That means they will be sharing player pools. People in Nevada will be playing against people in Delaware and vice versa. It'll be the first time that uh, poker games will legally be crossing state lines in the United States. Now, this is not going to do very much for the Nevada sites because Delaware is so small, it'll be a drop in the bucket Those sites are not doing very well, and this is not going to help them very much. But it's very big as far as establishing a precedent that states can cooperate like this and that the federal government won't interfere. We haven't seen yet if the federal government will interfere, but if this goes off without a hitch and does not get interfered with by the federal government, count on other states to join together, including New Jersey, which would be really huge if they join those other two, and other states that start their own online poker, you know, intrastate online poker, if they join forces with existing states, pretty soon we can have online poker legally in most of the country. This will be huge. This was the first, or shall I say the second, very important step toward poker legalization. Years ago, I said that the path to playing legal online poker in the U.S. will be state rooms that eventually can cooperate with one another and share player pools, and eventually that will pave the way to a federally legal online poker room. So, we're on the way. So the second big hurdle has been cleared, at least for now. We'll talk about that. Speaking of Nevada online poker, we have a third room open in Nevada. First came Ultimate Poker, Second came WSOP.com, and now third, South Point's Real Gaming, that's the name of it, has become Nevada's third legal online poker site. Not surprisingly, with the first two rooms already kind of struggling, this is a fail site. It was actually expected to come out first, but it's unknown what took them so long. Absolute poker cheater and part owner Brent Beckley fresh out of prison, is now attempting to start anew. He's trying to get a legitimate company going. We'll talk about that. 
And finally, I will give yet another editorial. Some of you think this whole show is an editorial, but I'll give another editorial. This one, one of my rare political editorials. I don't like to give political speeches on this show because this show is not about politics. And a lot of you know, in general, where I stand on most political issues and what side of the political spectrum I'm typically on. But I don't like to have that part of this show because the truth is that uh, partisan politics doesn't really affect poker and the stuff we talk about here very much. It affects it a little bit, but uh, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or not even a U.S. citizen, uh, the issues I talk about here are pretty much the same for all of us. So I don't want to take this show up to uh, give you my political points of view. It'll bore you, and it's also just not topical of the show, and truthfully, it'll piss some of you off needlessly, and that's not really the point of this show. But occasionally... I find something that does have to do with poker or gambling that is political in nature. And this editorial is one of those. I'm going to talk about the effect of Obamacare. And this is just my opinion, by the way. The effect of Obamacare, which took full force in 2014, on the typical pro poker player. Did it help the typical pro poker player with health insurance and the costs? Or did it hurt the typical pro poker player. My view is that Obamacare has hurt most poker pros who are already struggling to get by. And I'll explain. So that's our agenda tonight. Once again, the phone number seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five seven zero two four three zero eighteen zero eight. You can text me at seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. We have four texts already. Keep them coming. This one was actually sent two days ago. Is that surprising? It says this came two days ago, but this person must be psychic. It says, why change to 9.30 then start at 10 anyway? I know what they're saying. They're not talking about tonight. They were talking about two days ago. Why change the show to 6.30? They say 9.30 because they're talking about Eastern Time. And then start at 10 anyway, referring to 7 Eastern Time. You dirty Jew. Well, two days ago, the reason we started late was because I was trying to get the server working, and I couldn't, and I gave up. That's what happened two days ago. Moving on to the next text, but we will be at 6.30 again for the next show. This is from our boner texter, the guy who always has a boner during this show. He texted at 10.25 p.m. today, had a boner, got ruined by the late start time, gonna fuck my wife, then go to bed. Good night, tell everyone I said smooches. This guy texts every week about having a boner. Uh, Here's another one. This is from Vegetera, who listens to this show very regularly. He's in Europe. He wrote... Got a boner. Another guy with a boner. When I realized I can listen to the show live. 8 a.m. here. No boner when I have to bitcoins. Vegetarian. I don't know what he means by the last thing. I have to bitcoins. But okay. Vegetarian are very excited that he can listen to the show live in the morning there in Europe. 
Finally, Druff just listening and saw my refund from Full Tilt is processing. So apparently payments are going out. I had just over 3K in refunds for what it's worth. Please don't reveal my identity, thanks. Well, good news. I have no idea who you are, so I can't reveal anything. But I won't even say your area code uh, just to further protect your identity. So those are our texts we've gotten. You can still text me, 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355. I will read them during the show. In the chat room right now, Bobby Orr wrote, Obamacare website works better than Druff's. <laughs> That's probably true right now. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. What's also embarrassing is that people are trying to move over to Seriously Serious's site to chat instead of my own site. <laughs> now I have to open that too. Do I really have to open up another site to... Yeah, people are chatting in there. All right. I, I guess I'll read that one too. The pain in the ass. But if you want to go to the Serious Serious site, it's S-R-S-L-Y-S-I-R-I-U-S S-R-S-L-Y-S-I-R-I-U-S dot com slash radio. But there's no radio there. Don't be fooled. It's just a chat room. At least there's no radio on right now. So, let's get on with the program. This is going to be tough following two chat rooms and... And that's sound effects on this thing? See, I can't follow this if it has sound effects. <laughs> Jeez. Let's see if I turn off the sound here. This is why I don't like using foreign chat rooms, especially with no notice, but... I'm going to try to do what the people want here because I know our chat room is operating terribly right now. (laughs) So people are telling me, forget about your chat room tonight, Druff. Well, I want to forget about it, but people will come in there out of habit if they join the show late. They're going to go, where is everybody? All righty. So here's the first topic, Bitcoins, Mount Gox. Well, boy, this has been a very big week for Bitcoin. Let me tell you what's happened since we had our last show. On our last show, everyone was very suspicious that Mt. Gox was broke. That Mt. Gox had been stalling for too long. They were not allowing anyone to remove their Bitcoins from the site. Because basically the way Mt. Gox worked is you could transfer your Bitcoins in and out of there freely... You could also buy bitcoins for cash and sell bitcoins for cash on Mt. Gox. That's the way all the exchanges work. Uh, They were once the biggest exchange in the world for bitcoin trading, going back years. And they were very respected. And most people never expected Mt. Gox to go down in this fashion. Most people expected Mt. Gox, if it was to go down, to be interfered with by the U.S. government, but not fall apart on its own. But anyway, starting February 7th, after months of having problems withdrawing cash for people, where they could transfer their bitcoins in and out, but they couldn't get cash for them very easily, like they were supposed to, 
after months of that going on and months of bad support for Mt. Gox. And let me tell you, whenever a site, poker, Bitcoin, whatever, is having support issues where they just don't respond to you and you can't get your money out and they have excuses, it's almost always a sign that something's very, very wrong. You can try to lie to yourself that, oh, I'm sure they're just having unforeseen problems, but everything's okay, my money's still there. That's almost never the case. When when your support issues start being ignored for weeks at a time, when people are reporting they can't get their money off, that almost always means the site is broke. But anyway, getting back to Gox. On February 7th, they took drastic action and prevented people from transferring their Bitcoins off of Mt. Gox, which was huge, because the whole point of Bitcoin is to be able to use it wherever you want on the internet as kind of an anonymous payment solution. So here you have your Bitcoins that Mt. Gox is holding for you. They're yours, they're just holding them for you. And you can't take them off, they're trapped there. So once they were trapped there, the value of Bitcoins on Mt. Gox went down, down, down. Now, people still couldn't get their cash off there, but they were selling them at depressed prices. So on all the other exchanges, Bitcoins were worth five to $600 typically. On Mt. Gox, they were crashing down, 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 down. And on our last show, I think they were worth around $200 each. So several times less on Mt. Gox is what a single Bitcoin was worth than everywhere else in the world. And the reason for that was that you couldn't get them off Gox. Otherwise, if you could get them off Gox, the smart thing to do would be buy the Bitcoins there and transfer them off to where they're more expensive and sell them there and make a fortune. But you couldn't do that because you couldn't get your Bitcoins off. But a lot of people said, hey, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to buy them for cheap here. When Mt. Gox gets themselves back above water, when they get everything worked out, then I'll have all these Bitcoins I bought for cheap and I can sell them for the market value. Not very smart. I didn't do that, by the way. I never advised doing that. (laughs) But a lot of people did. Anyway, I predicted last show, on February 16th, which was 11 days ago, that by the time I did my next show, that Mt. Gox value per Bitcoin would be under 100. Well... (laughs) It's way, way, way under 100 now. I don't even know what the number would be considered because I think that Mt. Gox is pretty much gone for good along with everything you had on there. The final breath of air that Mt. Gox had was when someone reported that they saw Bitcoins coming out of Mt. Gox on the Bitcoin blockchain. Someone examined the Bitcoin blockchain and saw Bitcoins leaving Mt. Gox. They're saying, oh, great, this is them testing withdrawals because Mt. Gox was not saying they were broke. They were saying that they were disabling withdrawals because of a trick called transaction malleability, which is basically a way that uh, attackers could make it look like that Bitcoins that were supposed to be sent were never sent when they actually were, so they could get double or triple paid. So, Mt. Gox said because of this transaction malleability and because uh, Mt. Gox was vulnerable to it, that they had to disable withdrawals in order to protect the integrity of the site. 
The thing is, all the other exchanges had the same problem, and they came back up very, very quickly. Mt. Gox stayed down, and down, and down. And when I say down, I mean it wasn't actually down, but they were not allowing you to take your coins off of Mt. Gox. So people saw, or I guess one guy saw, some coins coming off of Mt. Gox. Kind of in secret. And he posted about it. And everybody got all excited. Wow, this is an indication that Mt. Gox is about to start withdrawals again. They must, they must have their shit together now. And the Mt. Gox price, which had gone all the way down to $91 and then had stabilized in the low 100s, shot up from like 120 all the way to 340 People were actually paying 340 real U.S. dollars per Bitcoin on Mt. Gox where you could not remove them when the going rate for Mt. Gox where you could remove, or not Mt. Gox, for Bitcoins when you could remove them was like 500 at the time. And that's obviously not a good deal because by all appearances it seemed like Mt. Gox was broke. It looked like you're buying Bitcoins that don't exist. So why, why would you ever buy on a site like Mt. Gox that very possibly, very probably is broke and does not have any Bitcoins to sell you why buy it from there when you can buy for less than double the price legitimate Bitcoins elsewhere? But people were paying $340 just because someone saw Bitcoins leaving Mt. Gox. And I said, <laughs> that doesn't mean they're going to turn on withdrawals. That means that they're probably sneaking the last few Bitcoins off. Well, we never really got an answer as to what was going on with that. Because something much bigger happened. A document was leaked just a few days ago. It was a crisis strategy document. It was a document supposedly written by someone associated with Mt. Gox about their strategy to get out of this mess. And what was this mess? What mess did Mt. Gox get themselves into? Oh, according to that document... Over a period of years, this transaction malleability was abused to where 744,000 bitcoins had been stolen. Can you believe that? I didn't say $744,000 worth of bitcoins had been stolen. I said 744,000 bitcoins had been stolen. Let's do some math here. Let's say a Bitcoin is worth $550 right now. 550 times 744,000 is $409,000,000. That's how much was stolen, allegedly, from Mt. Gox, according to that document. That most people were accepting as being authentic. The document said that Mt. Gox had a whopping 2,000 bitcoins left on the whole site. 744,000 were stolen. They had 2,000 left. Of course, the question became, how could you not notice that? (laughs) How could you be running an exchange of that size and not notice that your bitcoins have been stolen all the way down to 2,000 over a period of years when you're supposed to have over 744,000? Nobody knows the answer to that. 
The document also claimed they have about $20 million in cash, but that's clearly not even in the realm of being enough to cover their Bitcoin losses of what they're supposed to be holding for people. So the crisis strategy document outlined what they were supposed to do for the next month or so, or next few months, in order to try to get out of this, including raising capital, including the CEO, Mark Carpellas, resigning, including shutting down Gox for a month while they're trying to get a handle on all this, including taking responsibility for what happened, including rebranding MountGox.com to just be Gox.com. Like, that's going to really change anything. I mean, can you see anybody saying, well... Mount Gox stole everyone's money, or at least was very careless with it, to where all the money was gone. But I'm willing to give Gox another chance because they dropped the mount from it. I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) But that that was part of the brilliant strategy that was suggested in that document. Anyway, uh, that document was the first time that people had seen any kind of concrete or it wasn't really concrete, but any kind of uh, quantified number as to what was lost on Mt. Gox. And this really slapped everyone into reality. It was no more like, hmm, I wonder if Mt. Gox is broke, I wonder if they're in trouble. People read that, people said, look, this document, if it's true, and it looked pretty authentic, if this is true, Mt. Gox just lost $409 million worth of our Bitcoin. And they have almost nothing left. That is a disaster of epic proportions. Well, while people were debating whether that document was real, indeed, Mount Gox went down, just like the document predicted it would happen. The document said on uh, Janu- uh, on February 25th, in the morning, Japan time, it would go down, and that's exactly what happened. So the, the document was right on. What happened when you went to Mount Gox and it was down? Well, you just got a white screen. You just got a blank screen. So, it stayed that way for a while. Then they put up a very short statement. Dear Mount Gox customers, In light of recent news reports and the potential repercussions on Mount Gox's operations in the market, a decision was taken to close all transactions for the time being in order to protect the site and our users. We will be closely monitoring the situation and will react accordingly. Best regards, Mount Gox team. So, this is so stupid. Once the cat was out of the bag, once it was clear to everyone that Mount Gox had dropped the ball and either stole all the bitcoins themselves or uh, let them get stolen by third parties, you don't put up a message about because of news reports and repercussions because of the news reports you're taking them down. It's almost like they're blaming the media for this. Ridiculous. So that was not well received. So then another message came up a little bit later. Both messages are up right now if you want to go to mtgox.com. And this is the last message they put up February 26, 2014. Dear Mount Gox customers, as there is a lot of speculation regarding Mount Gox and its future, I would like to use this opportunity to reassure everyone that I am still in Japan and working very hard with the support of different parties to find a solution to our recent issues. Furthermore, I would like to kindly ask that people refrain from asking questions of our staff 
<laughs> refrain from asking questions to our staff. <laughs> they have been instructed not to give any response or information. Please visit this page for further announcements and updates. Sincerely, Mark Harpella. I mean, what an arrogant frog this guy is. I call him an arrogant frog because he's French. I, this guy is is so arrogant to say kindly refrain from asking questions to our staff. They've been instructed not to say anything. Oh, why don't we all be polite to the staff of Mount Gox after Mount Gox let $409 million of our money get stolen? They're supposed to be protecting that money, protecting the Bitcoins worth that money. And it's all gone. But we have to be polite and not ask them any questions because Mark is asking us nicely not to. I'd like to kindly ask you don't ask our staff any questions about the missing $409 million worth of Bitcoin. Please don't ask us anything. Thank you. I mean, this guy is so out of touch. Now, the story eventually came out that uh, basically what happened was that he tried to get uh, some outside investors to prop up Mount Gox. Uh, Basically, the plan looks like that they were trying to get money and then start a limited withdrawal procedure, pretending like they're limiting the withdrawals in order to uh, make it so there's uh, the price doesn't get affected. But in reality, just because they don't have the money to pay everyone. And then slowly trickle out the bitcoins that they buy with uh, on the outside market uh, with this investment money. And somehow extricate themselves from the situation especially because they're going to be making transaction fees from all this and hope that over time they can afford to buy bitcoins back and pay everyone all the money they owe without it ever looking like they lost them that was the plan now I think a second part of the plan that Mark Carpella has never really told anyone was that uh, he wanted and this is just my speculation there's no proof of this but my speculation and many others It's that uh, Mark Carpella's CEO of Mt. Gox was hoping that the prices would crash down so low, maybe like $10 each, that Mt. Gox itself would use their cash reserves of $20 million to buy people's bitcoins back and essentially reduce their liabilities enough to where they're able to pay the remaining people who haven't sold. So they're trying to get everyone to dump their bitcoins for pennies on the dollar through fear and through inability to withdraw them. And then when enough people dump them back to Mount Gox at a huge, huge, huge discount, then suddenly Mount Gox can afford to pay out the remaining people who didn't dump them. That was, that was my guess. But uh, what did happen was when uh, Mark went to these investors the investors went and reported this to other people. And that's when uh, the other Bitcoin exchanges realized there was a big problem. Now, why did the other exchanges care? Wouldn't they be happy about this? No. Uh, If you remember, Bitcoin has shot up in value tremendously. In 2011, you could get these for five bucks each. In December, actually late November 2013, they were worth 1200 bucks each. Can you imagine that type of appreciation? It's insane. It appreciated 
by a factor of more than 200. Some people got very, very, very filthy rich from buying a bunch of bitcoins back in the day and holding on to them. Bitcoin shot up in value because everyone was excited by them. Because they were something new and different. They were an online currency that wasn't directly associated with any country. That was not controlled by any kind of central authority. It could be used kind of as online cash, anonymously. For you, They could be obtained and cashed out for very small fees the world became more and more excited with them and their value spiked up big time in the second half of 2013. And even the first half of 2013. 2013 was really the year of the Bitcoin. But in reality, what's a Bitcoin worth? Nothing. It's really worth nothing. It's only worth what people are willing to pay for them, what people think they should be worth. So when Bitcoin has any kind of crisis of confidence, the value goes down, down, down. Well, the other exchanges realize that if the once biggest trusted exchange, even if it's not the biggest anymore, Mt. Gox, everyone thinks Bitcoin, they think Mt. Gox. If Mt. Gox is found to have either stolen or lost all of the money and all the Bitcoin they were holding for people, That makes everyone else look bad. That makes the general public want to stay away from Bitcoin. That makes the general public say, screw this. (laughs) Why should we get involved in this crap? Look what happened. The biggest, most trusted company lost it all. Wow, this isn't so great after all. Never mind. I want nothing to do with Bitcoin. That's what they were afraid the general public would say, and the value of Bitcoin would plummet. And people would stop trading them, and these exchanges would no longer be making the commissions that they once were. Their profits would just go down the toilet. So they had to put out an emergency message, basically condemning Mt. Gox, and they put it out very quickly. Pretty much right when Mt. Gox went down with a blank page, Coinbase, which is a big exchange for people in the U.S., pretty reputable from what I can tell. Coinbase put out a joint exchange or joint joint statement. I'll read this to you here. Condemning Mt. Gox. February 24th, 2014. The purpose of this document is to summarize a joint statement to the Bitcoin community regarding Mt. Gox. This tragic violation of the trust of users of Mt. Gox was the result of one company's actions and does not reflect the resilience or value of Bitcoin and the digital currency industry. There are hundreds of trustworthy and responsible companies involved in Bitcoin. These companies will continue to build the future of money by making Bitcoin more secure and easy to use for consumers and merchants. As with any new industry, there are certain bad actors that need to be weeded out, and that's what we are seeing today. Mt. Gox has confirmed its issues in private discussions with other members of the Bitcoin community. 
We are confident, however, that strong Bitcoin companies led by highly competent teams and backed by credible investors will continue to thrive and to fulfill the promise that Bitcoin offers as the future of payment in the Internet age. In order to reestablish the trust squandered by the failings of Mt. Gox, responsible Bitcoin exchanges are working together and are committed to the future of Bitcoin and the security of all customer funds. As part of the effort to reassure customers, the following services will be coordinating efforts over the coming days to publicly reassure customers and the general public that all funds continue to be held in a safe and secure manner. Coinbase, Kraken, Bitstamp, Circle, and BTC China. So I'm not going to read the rest. There's pretty much the same stuff, but that's who is putting this out, those companies. So basically, a lot of the other major exchanges were putting out a message saying, Mt. Gox screwed up, but that's not us. We're, we're totally different. We're, we're not irresponsible like Mt. Gox. We're not going to violate your trust like Mt. Gox did. Please do not let this reflect badly upon us. It's, it's kind of like the ultimate in distancing yourself. And they put this out right away. They had already prepared this statement before Mt. Gox went down. Because people from that meeting where Mark Carpellas was saying, hey, you know, give me money so we can pretend everything's okay. And Mark was pitching this to people because he was trying to say, look, if Mt. Gox doesn't stay up, if Mt. Gox is seen to be broke, then all of Bitcoin will come crashing down. So for the Bitcoin community's sake, we need to make Gox survive. But he didn't get the money he was looking for. Well, what happened as a result of all this? Not surprisingly, Bitcoin crashed, went as low as $400 on the other exchanges, but then rebounded. And I don't even understand this. I would never have predicted this. As I am doing this show right now, just short of midnight on February 27th, It's worth $574. Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, that's not much lower than before all this started. When I say started, I mean around the time when uh, Mt. Gox stopped the withdrawals. So for Mt. Gox to be completely gone, for it to be generally accepted by the community that $409 million worth of Bitcoin have been lost or stolen by Mt. Gox. And for the price to have bounced right back, that's pretty interesting to me. I would not suggest buying Bitcoin right now. I think a lot of people are still in denial. But I think when more and more stories come out as to what was going on at Mt. Gox, as to how this happened, as to maybe insiders working for Mt. Gox. They only had 18 people working there at a maximum, by the way. But that maybe some insiders were stealing from there. I think as more bad stories come out, people are going to lose more and more faith in Bitcoin. And I think it's going to slip. 
I think you really need to wait for another crash. And then if it starts to go back up again, buy in. For the first time ever, I have the ability now to buy a maximum of 85 Bitcoin per day, which is a substantial amount. I'm not saying $85 worth, I'm saying 85 coins. And I can do that instantly now. I had to wait a month to be able to have this ability, but now I can. So now I'm all ready. I'm, I'm all ready to jump in with my own money. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is when I feel the time is right. But I do not feel the time is right. I could be proven wrong. Bitcoin could shoot up to $900 next week and I'll feel like a fool. But I don't think it will. I think it'll either lay flat for a while or have a crash soon. When more info comes out. This Mt. Gox saga is not over yet. People have written the obituary for Mt. Gox, but the details have not come out yet. And I think when the ugly details come out, it will start to erode public confidence in Bitcoin. You will always have people that are pro-Bitcoin, no matter what happens. But they're not the ones who force the price up like that. The price got forced up by the general public buying in. People like me. So, that's the situation right now with Bitcoin, with Mt. Gox, And it really is a lesson, a lesson we've learned many times in the poker community, that no matter what you think you have, no matter how much money you think you have on an unbacked, unguaranteed, especially foreign online site, that money is not yours till it hits your bank account. There have been many people who had a lot of money in their online poker accounts and they never saw that money. Not because they lost it, but because it got stolen or taken in some way. People on full tilt that have been waiting three years to get their money. People who may never get their money there. People who have had their their money stolen by hackers. People who have had their accounts unfairly closed and their money confiscated. Or in Mt. Gox's case, people who've had their money stolen through unknown means. And it's just gone. There are people posting on forums all over the internet that their lives have been ruined by this. People who had their entire net worth there of hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. I feel for those people. I think they made a huge mistake, but I feel for them. I can't imagine what that must be like. To think you're flying high with all this money you've made in Bitcoin. You think you're set for a long time with a large sum of money sitting there and you're leaving it on there because you're trying to make more. And then one day you wake up and it's gone. Not because you lost it, but because someone else lost it. So never leave on those sites what you can't afford to lose. Because it's not yours yet. It should be yours, but it's not. You don't ever want a situation where you say, wow, I wish I withdrew. Wow, I, I wish that I took some of it out for myself to guarantee I'd get something out of this. 
Don't ever leave money on these unregulated sites, these foreign sites, these potentially shady sites, no, no matter how big and reputable they seem. Full Tilt seems so reputable. Look what happened to them. Someone's saying in the chat, if you had your entire net worth on Mt. Gox, you deserve to lose it all. No. If you had your entire net worth on Mt. Gox, you were stupid. You didn't think through your decisions regarding the security of your money. But you didn't deserve to have your money stolen. Now, I really do feel for those people. The only people I don't feel for when they lose their money in these situations are ones who were taking advantage of a situation to profit from others' criminal activities or from their own criminal activities. For example, the people who played on UB because the games were good after the scandal because all the other pros had left. They said, oh, look, good games here. <laughs> and then you know, UB stole all their money after that. Well, good. I'm glad they stole your money in that case. If you knew the same owners who stole from the poker community still owned the place and were pretending not to, and you played there anyway because the games were good, you deserve to have your money stolen because you were supporting cheaters and thieves and criminals. But if you just make bad decisions with the security of your money, while you were stupid, you don't deserve to suffer for it. Now, there's been talk that maybe this is going to attract the attention of the U.S. Department of Justice towards bitcoins. People are even asking, will Mark Harpel is even get in any trouble? Or will he skate out of this somehow? Is Japan going to do anything about it, where he is? I don't know. They might, they might not. There's some investigations going on. But yeah. It is possible this will now get the attention of the U.S. government and the U.S. government is going to go, hey, we got to regulate this. And unfortunately, this is where I saw Bitcoin ending up. Not, I, I couldn't have predicted Mt. Gox was going to lose everyone's money. But I've always said Bitcoin has no long-term future. What I mean by that is the state Bitcoin is in today, an anonymous currency that can be used to buy drugs and illegal guns and other illegal crap on the internet. A cryptocurrency that is so easy to steal by talented hackers around the world to exploit. There is no future in the long term for something like this. It can't just be refined. What will happen eventually is the government's going to step in, the U.S. government's going to step in and say, hey, we don't like this anymore. Too many people are getting ripped off. Too many organized crime rings are stealing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars this way. Too many drugs and guns are being sold. This is too easy for terrorists to move money in and out of the U.S., which is true. Time to clamp down on this and regulate it. I'm not saying Bitcoin will be gone. I'm just saying it'll be regulated. And it won't be the same Bitcoin that you know of today. 
It will not have the same value it has today. It won't have the same swings in value that it has today. Muck Ficon saying in the chat, the government has their dicks in everything. Nothing gets by them. Exactly. The government does not just sit back with something as major as this and doesn't get involved. They will come down on Bitcoin. When I say come down on it, I'm saying they'll probably regulate it at some point, pretty soon. They will come down on all the illegal sites, they already have to some degree, that are operating with Bitcoin, including the Bitcoin gambling sites. Those are not going to go on forever, by the way. Especially in the U.S. Once this gets mainstream enough, which has happened now, when it's the top story on CNN and Fox News, it has gotten mainstream enough. It's not just a few computer nerds trading meaningless coins for money. It's become huge. It does not have a long-term future. Short-term, sure. Do you want to ride the price fluctuations and try to buy low and sell high? Great. I'm going to try to do that, too. I don't recommend you buy coins and hold on to them. Something like this can't just exist unmolested by the U.S. government for too long. Look at online poker. For years, people were saying... Poker Stars is untouchable. Full Tilt is untouchable. Nothing can happen to these sites. The U.S. government, they, they haven't done anything all this time and they won't. And then Black Friday happened. Nothing is untouchable. And I knew the same thing about online poker. These online poker sites, these illegal online poker sites, I knew it could not go on the way it did for the long term. In fact, it made it a lot longer than I thought it would before a major interference occurred. And that was Black Friday. Anytime something grows to be too big, once there's too much money involved in it, the U.S. government will get involved. Especially if it involves a lot of illegal elements, which online poker had, between the illegal gambling, between the payment processing by shady entities and the money laundering, and Bitcoin, of course, with its illegal usage for drugs, illegal guns, money laundering, whatever. So, just to be clear, because some people, some people think I'm just trying to talk down about Bitcoin because I never bought any up to this point. And I'm, I'm taking joy in watching others lose money. No, I'm not. Some people think I've made an about-face and I'm pro-Bitcoin now. No. I'm not really pro or anti-Bitcoin. I'm just, I'm being realistic. It's just not going to last the way it is. In 10 years, we're not going to have Bitcoin looking the same it is today. We're just not. People are going to talk about this 10 years from now, of like, wow, Look how crazy Bitcoin was back in 2013 and 2014. Kind of the same way we talk about the initial dot-com boom in the late 90s and the year 2000. Before that all crashed down. People talk about all the ridiculous dot-com sites that uh, 
sold stock at such inflated prices when they hadn't even made a penny yet. People laugh at that now, just like people will laugh at the long-term Bitcoin investors now. Someone asking in chat, Druff, if you had to invest 30% of your money in one currency and hold for 10 years, what would you put it in? I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not a currency expert. What I am is someone who has realistically observed the behavior of our government in relation to online poker, and Bitcoin has a lot of parallels to online poker. It really does. All right, let's move on. I think I gave more time to this than I intended to. 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355. You can text me on that number as well. You can call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. I'm now watching Seriously Serious' chat room. That's S-R-S-L-Y-S-I-R-I-U-S dot com slash radio. Or it's, if you want to spell it easily, it's the word seriously without any vowels, and then serious, like the serious satellite radio spelling, S-I-R-I-U-S dot com slash radio. I'm not watching my own chat room because my own chat room is not working very well. My whole server is not working well. It's a miracle that this radio show has been able to broadcast uh, unmolested thus far, as far as I can tell. But I'm still working on it. This is not the future of Poker Fraud Alert to have a crap server. If the server does not... If I can't solve this, I'm going to move somewhere else. Uh, Basically, I'm buying server space from a third-party company that's been a pretty good company up till now. And um, basically what they do, what this company does, for those of you wondering, is they, they give you your own server. It's technically a virtual machine, but... Yeah, you know, we're not going to look at it that way. But basically, they give you your own server and say, okay, you know, it's yours, you do what you want with it, and it's up to you to maintain. And if it's having hardware problems, they'll fix that for free. But if it's having software problems, then you can either fix it yourself, or they can do it for you at an hourly rate. Um, I have a master's degree in computer science, but I'm more of a programmer than a systems administrator. And while I can do some system administration tasks, I'm not an expert system administrator, so I, after I was unable to solve this myself, I enlisted the help of the experts there. And probably I'm going to part with some money for this, but uh, so far they've been unable to solve it. And the conclusions they've come to, I... I didn't believe them, and it turns out I was right because we're still having big problems here. They they told me, oh look, I, th- I think we fixed it, and they they claimed they changed some setting on my Apache, and I I, I knew that wasn't going to fix it. I knew they were full of it, but I, I gave it a shot. I was already seeing evidence though earlier today that that didn't fix it, and I told them that. So if they can't get it going, either they can give me a new server, and we'll try it again. Or I'll just move the whole damn thing elsewhere. But this this won't be the future of the site. Don't worry. It's uh, when these things happen, they really bother me. I'm not a perfectionist, 
but I'm someone who is very particular that things operate properly and as you would expect them to operate. I hate when things have bugs. I hate when things are slow. I hate when things are maddening to use. Because I find that myself with websites, with products that have nothing to do with computers where you get something you expected to work a certain way and it does not. And you drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how you make this work. Or when it doesn't work, you just and you need it to work, you just you can't stand it. And I'm someone who I don't want my product, Poker Fraud Alert, to give you that experience. And it is right now. And I'm not going to stand for that. So I'll make it work somehow. I appreciate those of you that are bearing with me, though, during this uh, difficult time for the server. Let's move on to the next topic. I still don't believe it's a denial-of-service attack. I'm not just guessing at that. If it is, the person is very, very good at doing it and hiding what they're doing. Well, Garden City Group, they were the company that was tasked to issue full tilt refunds. April 15, 2011 was the last day that any players in the U.S. were able to play on full tilt or withdraw their money. So if you are a U.S. player or were a U.S. player on April 15, 2011, your money has been stuck on full tilt unless you immediately moved to another country and withdrew it then. Uh, or I guess if you're still in another country, you can access your money now that it's being run by poker stars. But uh, for the rest of us that stayed in the U.S., which is most of us, our money's been stuck there for almost three years. Garden City Group was appointed by the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, to manage these refunds. Where did the money come from? It came from the purchase of Full Tilt by PokerStars for $750 million some of which was earmarked to go back to the U.S. players that had their money stolen by Howard Lederer, Chris Ferguson, Ray Bittar, Ray First, and company. So our money was stolen by the original Full Tilt. And now the government has tasked Garden City Group to pay us some of the money that the government received from PokerStars to buy Full Tilt. But this is one of these things that sounded much better in theory than it is in practice. The government hired Garden City Group because of their experience in managing disbursements kind of like this in the past. The problem is Garden City Group had zero experience with online poker. They were clueless. They were totally new to the game. Now, if you listen to this show you know what an affiliate is. If you listen to this show, you understand online poker, most likely. If you listen to this show, you probably understand and could even foresee most of the issues that would come up in these disbursements for the U.S. players needing their money back from Full Tilt. Unfortunately, Garden City Group, who understood none of this coming in, did not. Now, if they were smart and if they were competent, they would have immediately hired people who had knowledge about these things. Like, for example, if they brought me on board, and I never applied to go work for them, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, if they brought me on board, a lot of the ridiculous things that happened since they took over would not have occurred. 
a lot of the problems, a lot of the confusion, a lot of the unfair things that have been happening through Garden City Group's policies have been the result of a company that does not understand online poker and never has. They're learning on the job big time. Some of the things they've corrected, some of the things they have not. Now, some people got some good news. After all this time, they got the good news that Garden City Group is going to pay them. And as I reported as in a text message from someone, they see it's processing, they see they're about to get about $3,000 back from Garden City Group, which was their full tilt balance. So they're very happy, that person who texted me. There's a number of other people on Poker Fraud Alert that have reported the same thing. I'm not one of them. Unfortunately, I am one of the zero balance people. That is, when Garden City Group took over, Full Tilt came back up, Poker Stars is running Full Tilt, and uh, then uh, we were able to log in as U.S. players just simply to view our balance, view our histories. I logged in to see that my account was down to zero. I didn't start with zero. I had a lot more than zero on Black Friday. So where did my money go? And it wasn't just me. I don't know. You would think if Full Tilt was giving their true and correct records to Garden City Group, this could not have happened. How could I have had money on April 15th, not logged into Full Tilt, in fact, not been able to log on to Full Tilt since April 15th, 2011, and then when I'm able to log in again, my money's gone. Where did it go? I tried to even get my account's history. I could not get that. I tried to have it emailed to me. It never came to me. I finally had to submit my own records of bank deposits and other things to try to convince them via petition that they owed me money. Now, not only that, but I never even got notification from Garden City Group that they had created a petition for me. Basically, they looked up everybody's account that uh, they felt was supposed to get money and sent them a message, okay, we've created a petition for you. Here's your petition number. Uh, Those people who had the pre-generated petition seem to be the ones who are getting the money first. The people who had to generate their own petitions, like me, are either getting denied or ignored. There's no good reason for that. I still don't know why I don't have any money showing on full tilt, why I don't get any contact from them, why they didn't initially contact me, and even if you want to say they didn't initially contact me because they thought I had zero, once I submitted a petition with what they were asking for six months ago, why have I not received any response, either approval or denial? I've received nothing while others are getting their money. You would think by now I would either be getting my money or be told why I cannot get my money. I got neither. This is more of Garden City Group's incompetence. So, what I'm going to do here is play for you my phone call to Garden City Group. I called them up. And I said, what the hell happened? 
I submitted a petition on September 25th, 2013. I guess it's been five months, not six, but five months. I've received nothing back. No denials. No approvals. I'm definitely not getting my money like many of you are. And there's no reason for this. I was never a Full Tilt Red Pro. I was never an affiliate. I never did any kind of work for Full Tilt. I was not in any of the categories to where there was either exclusion or considered exclusion of my eligibility to get this money back. But what I think happened here was that I was first listed as having zero erroneously. And then when I tried to correct that, it just got ignored because they are incompetent. They put my petition aside somewhere as probably one of the more difficult ones to figure out. Because if you think about it, let's say Garden City Group emails you, here's your petition, you go on and says, hey, um, we owe you 3000 You go, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, yeah, I agree. Well, then it's very easy. They had it handed to them on a silver platter. They were given data on what you were owed. You say, yes, I agree with that. They say, great, here's your money. I mean, it couldn't be easier than that. Uh, I, I could probably get my three-year-old son, Benjamin, to process that. So where the real talent would come in, the real work would come in, in processing these claims, would be the ones that are not so simple, like mine, where you have to reconstruct it in some way, where you have to separate the BS from the lies. You know, I could have seen zero and come back on and said, yeah, um, it shows zero, but you actually owe me... One million dollars. And, uh, of course, they would not just send me a million bucks, they would have to look into it. Maybe I had a million dollars, maybe I had zero, maybe I had somewhere in between. They'd have to figure it out. But it looks like anything that required any figuring out, they didn't do. I don't know what they've been doing for the past five months, but they've been sitting on their hands, doing basically nothing... And they're only paying the people who are super, super easy, straightforward, rubber stamp cases, from what I can tell. If I'm wrong about this, tell me. But that's what I can tell here. This is a tweet from Marco Valerio, Agent Marco. Uh, Remember, he used to work for Quad Jacks and the Snake in the Grass, but Marco's a good guy. I like Marco. Uh, Marco wrote, lots of tweets and posts from U.S. players discovering their full tilt money is in their bank accounts. Great to see. So people are getting their money. The easy cases are getting their money, but the hard cases are not. And the tough thing is here, if you've missed the first round, which I have, you may never make the second round. They may just declare it over. They may say, okay, all the money's used up. Tough luck on you. Or we've used up most of the money, so now you're going to get paid uh, 10 cents on the dollar. Because that's that's what's going to happen is... uh, um, the first round, you get 100%, and then uh, the subsequent rounds, if uh, there's more to give away than they have to give away, they're going to reduce it on a prorated basis. And I, I shouldn't be suffering like this. I shouldn't have to wait any longer. Mine should have been approved by now. Or if there was something wrong with my petition, they should have denied it or had me correct what they think I need to correct, but not just do nothing. So, just in case you think that I am engaging in a persecution complex and that in reality they have been processing it and my money is forthcoming very soon, I would like you to listen to my full tilt call. This is an eight-minute call. 
Take a listen to this call. Uh, it was actually longer than eight minutes, but what I did is I edited out the personal information and any kind of long pause. So this way it's better for radio to where there's always some action in the call. So here it is. My call to Garden City. Thank you for calling the Full Tilt Poker Claims Administration Helpline. Your call may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance purposes. The deadline to submit petitions for remission was Saturday, November 16, 2013. We are in the process of reviewing petitions filed by petitioners who confirmed their balances online and who have not disputed their full tilt poker account balance or submitted multiple petitions. We expect payments to be made with respect to such petitions with confirmed balances by March 31, 2014. If you are an affiliate or pro player and would like additional information, please press 1. For general information about the Full Tilt Poker Claims Administration, please press 2. If you have additional questions and would like to speak with a customer service representative, please press 3. To repeat to the news, please hold while your call is transferred to the next available representative. Please stay on the line for the next available representative. Your call may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance purposes. Thank you for calling <clears throat> Full Tilt per- Poker Claims Administration Helpline. My name is Tierra Turner. I'm with you today. Yes, um, I have a petition number and a control number. I submitted a petition. I've heard nothing. I heard nothing. You know, I have an account on Full Tilt that uh, had money trapped in it. And um, I got no notification about this like everybody else did. So I went and filed my own petition, and I heard nothing Mm -hmm. back. I didn't hear yes, I didn't hear no, I've heard absolutely nothing. And I'm hearing others are getting a lot of notifications. Can you please look up my petition and tell me what's going on? Okay, well, I can definitely do that. What's your petition number? Okay, one moment while I look up your information. What's your first and last name, sir? Todd Wittellis. Mm-hmm. You have your current mailing address, please. <clears throat> okay, thank you for that information, sir. Um, okay, so I'm showing that you did submit, you know, like a web claim here. Um, and what's your email address? Okay, let's see here. I'm going to check our system here to see if there's any other accounts, um, because you, you said that you did that on your own. Um, I, I did that on my own, but I, I never got yeah, yeah, I never got a petition number. I never got anything in the first place, even though I have an account at Full Tilt. So I had to go do it on my own. But you're welcome to check if there's any other kind of petition for me, but I've never been notified of one. Um, actually, yes, I am showing what now, um, do you have a previous address? Okay, so that's what we have here, and it's under the same email address, so that, that's probably where your postcard was sent, um, as right now, I don't see, like, a specific status on, uh, the particular claim that you did submit on your own. Um, okay, so we did receive some documentation from you. Looks like from Wells Fargo, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so we did receive that information, but I'm not showing 
what the status is of yet. Um, I'm only showing that you've submitted it, but I'm not showing that um, you qualify for a particular payment. So well, it looks like nothing was done. Like, what, what's happened in all these months here? Because other people have had theirs processed, and it looks like mine's been ignored. I, I submitted this, uh, what was this, back in uh, September of 2013. Mm-hmm. What I can do is um, definitely submit this information to upper management for further research on the status of your claim uh, because I unfortunately am not seeing a, a specific status under your name. Like it, it, It's just all that it's showing me is that you've submitted it, but it's not showing that um, you will be receiving any type of compensation as of yet. So what um, again, I will do is just submit this to upper management so they can figure out what's going on there and definitely give you a call back. Now, the best number to reach you at is five. Okay. All right. So that is what I'll um, give them is that particular number to give you a call as soon as they find anything out. Um, and again, we do apologize for. Um, the inconvenience. Well, uh, well so, let, let um, me let me find out a few things here. So, first of all, am I definitely getting a call, or are you just giving it to them, saying this guy would like a call, but I may never get one? Um, they do call back. But so I will definitely get they a phone call. call uh, within what time frame will I definitely get a phone call? No, I'm not saying that the the phone call will happen tonight. Um, they will get a hold of you as soon as they can, as soon as they find anything about your uh, particular client. Well, what time frame am I looking at, though? Am I looking at a week or, or three days or, or a month? Like, What time frame can I be sure that they will have called me? What I can say is it's definitely not going to take a month for, for them to get a hold of you. Um, I could say perhaps 72 hours. But there, there will definitely be a call. Like, I'm not going to call in next week and find out that nothing was done, right? Because this, or they may not call. Um, I, I just, I really need to know honestly I'm if they're going to call. Not, okay. I'm definitely not going to say that they're not going to call you because they call individuals. They actually research and they do call back. Okay. So. And the other question for you here is, uh, what you're seeing of my case, does it seem unusual? Or have you seen a lot of them like this where there's just no status? Um, It's. It's rare. It's not that common. So, so what so you usually see, what you usually see, is either approved or denied, not just nothing. Is that what you're telling me? Um, we're showing that we received it, but there's just no feedback. But, after but let, that. And okay. So we need to figure out what's going on. But there's certain people who are getting refunds. There's certain ones that are not. Would you show for the ones that are not? Would you usually show denied or something like that? Some kind of information there. Is this unusual to see nothing? Or does that mean um, I was denied? Like I said, it's not it's not common. So that's why we need to make sure what's going on here. And that's why I'm going to send this information to management so that they can do that. All righty. So like in a week I should call back of it. I don't hear anything, right? You are more than welcome to do that, sir. Okay. And there's no way I can speak to them right now, right? Um, unfortunately, no. So what happens like next week if I haven't heard from someone and I call back in? Then then what's the next step at that point? Well, I'm, you can definitely speak to to someone and they could you know try and assist you with figure out what the status is. All right, most but, likely. But they're definitely going to call me, right? Because I'm very very big on them calling me here. 
not just a request for a call. Right. I need to know for sure because I've heard nothing for six months here. Mm-hmm. And I do understand your frustration, sir. And so that's why I'm submitting the information to upper management so that they can research that. All right. Okay, so you're not showing anything else on my account? You're not showing that I'm an affiliate, which I'm not, or anything like that? You're just seeing nothing? Um, I'm not showing anything other than that you have submitted your claim, sir. All right, I guess that's all. Thank you. Yeah, so as you see, they've done absolutely nothing, and uh, my case has been submitted to upper management. <laughs> Do you think I've gotten a phone call yet? This was uh, now two days ago. No, I've gotten no phone call. Now, I was told 72 hours probably. I, I have a feeling I won't get it tomorrow, or Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or ever. I think upper management is not going to be particularly responsive. So I'm going to have to call back. So as you can see, they, they just took my petition, they they see that I submitted exactly what they asked me to submit, and they have done nothing with it in five months. So, for those of you who have gotten money back from the Full Tilt Fund, congratulations, I'm happy for you. I'm not being sarcastic here. I, I think it's great that a lot of this money has been returned to the poker community, but as you see, it's not nearly anywhere close to over. Now, I have a theory as to why some people, like myself, came up with a zero balance and others have a balance that's uh, correct or close to a correct. I have a feeling that, I, I don't know how this happened, that Full Tilt provided Garden City Group with information that was a little bit old, that was missing some stuff. On April 9th, 2011 I busted my account and I reloaded I was one of the unfortunate souls not only to reload just days before Black Friday but also to have the money actually come out of my bank account because a lot of what complicated the whole full tilt mess was that they were crediting people with deposits but not actually taking the money from their bank accounts I was one of the fortunate souls who got the money actually taken from them. That's the extra kick in the ass here. So I'm thinking that um, sometime uh, between when I busted and when I reloaded, that they uh, that either that's when they have it the record as of, or maybe that the reloads that people did in the weeks leading up to Full Tilt's uh, going down on Black Friday were just not given credit when they gave the information over to Garden City Group. That's just one guess I'm making here. Uh, I've had some people report that their balance is mostly correct but a little bit low and I'm just wondering, maybe it's a little bit low because they, they won a little more money in the final few days and that just, they didn't get credit for it. So I don't know. That's just one guess. I could be totally off. But my balance was showing zero, and it should not have been zero. So this is really frustrating that they've done nothing. 
I'd have much rather heard, hey, we denied you, here's the reason, and then I could attack that reason from there. Then I could go forward and do what I need to do to try to prove that I had a balance there. But they haven't denied me, I'm just being stalled. It's weird. Like, what are they getting paid for? Someone wrote in the chat, how funny would it be if Druff was doing this all for $200? Well, it wouldn't be funny at all, because uh, it's still $200. The government shouldn't keep it. It's not $200, but if it was, I'd be doing the same thing. Flipper Fair said he'd do it for $3. I probably wouldn't do it for $3. There's so much hassle involved. I, it just wouldn't be worth it, even for the principal. But like, if it was 100 I would definitely do it. So, you know, for any kind of semi-substantial amount of money, when I say semi-substantial, I just mean something that's not pennies, something that's not like a few bucks. Uh, I think you'd be foolish not to try to pursue it. I'm not saying you should make it your life's mission to get back a few hundred dollars if that's what you have stuck on there and you can't get it, but you should give it a shot. You shouldn't let the government just keep it. It's not theirs. So... That's my story. I'll update you guys as this occurs. I'm going to get a lot more aggressive with calling Garden City Group and demanding answers here. I've been very passive just letting them do their thing and stupidly hope they just somehow approve my petition and be done with it. So, let's move on to a new story here. A lot of you remember the recent story of the guy in Atlantic City who had counterfeit poker chips, counterfeit tournament poker chips for the Borgata manufactured from a Chinese company that he found online, and uh, then brought them to a Borgata tournament, made himself the day one chip leader with many of these chips, cashed in the event, not even all that much, and then took the chips that he was not using and flushed them down the Harris toilet. It clogged the pipes. They realized what was going on. They arrested him. I believe he confessed. And that was that. You would think with that cautionary tale that we would not have idiots trying the same thing. But we do. We have a copycat. Or shall I say copycats. This article from CBS in Baltimore. Maryland State Police have arrested two people from Virginia and are looking for two others in connection to a counterfeit poker chip scheme at the Maryland Live Casino. Mike Helligren reports state police recovered fake chips floating in a lake in Virginia. (laughs) For some reason... These fake chips, they, they always end up in water in some some way, either in, in a lake or uh, in, uh, in pipes. Somehow it always involves water. If you're smart, if you really want to dispose of these in water, you need to put them in like a, a heavy bag and tie the bag really tightly closed and make sure it's a pretty sturdy bag and fill the bag with heavy rocks and then throw the thing in a a deep lake or a deep ocean. 
then it probably won't come back, or at least not for a long time. But you just toss them in the water or toss them down the toilet looking for trouble. <laughs> casino chips were, uh, counterfeit casino chips were floating in a lake. The investigation began January 20th when casino security officers called in police after finding dozens of counterfeit $100 poker chips. The court document states the chips were larger than standard chips used at the casino. (laughs) And at least one was a $1 chip from Charlestown Casino in West Virginia that had been painted. (laughs) Idiots. So... These were larger chips than the normal chips that were used in the casino. Somehow they thought they would get away with this. And they actually took chips from another casino that were $1 chips and just painted over them to be $100 chips for this Maryland casino. Really smart. Casino staff identified four people from Northern Virginia as the likely source of the counterfeit chips, and the warrant served last week in Fairfax County states investigators believe they made thousands of dollars over several days. I can't believe when they're the wrong size they got away with this. They must be asleep at the switch there in Maryland. Those charged are identified as Rosa A. Wen, 36, and her husband Wong Q. Trong, 37, both of Annandale, Virginia, Wen is charged with one count of theft between $1,000 and $10,000 and two counts of a conspiracy to commit theft between $1,000 and $10,000. Trong is charged with four counts of committing a theft scheme and one count of conspiracy to commit theft. So this is a Vietnamese couple, if you haven't been able to tell from the names. Police believe Rosa Nguyen purchased $150,000 worth of counterfeit casino chips via the internet for $12,000. So she put a lot of money into this. The chips were then altered to appear similar to the Maryland Live casino chips. I wonder if she bought it from the same site as that that other clown from Atlantic City. One of the suspects tried to discard the chips in Lake Akotnik in Springfield, Virginia, not far from the suspect's home. But the chips floated, and the investigators were able to recover about $115,000 worth of the counterfeit casino chips. One million (laughs) dollars. Not really a million dollars, $115,000. Police are seeking charges against two additional suspects in an unrelated case of fraudulent chip use at Maryland Live. I guess this happened uh, again over there. What's, what's going on? Unrelated. Investigators believe these two suspects, a boyfriend and girlfriend also from Northern Virginia, obtained $1 chips from a West Virginia casino and altered them to appear as $100 chips from Maryland Live. How, how can this be unrelated? How can this be unrelated? So you have this Vietnamese couple that did it, and then a boyfriend and girlfriend, also from Northern Virginia, which is close to Maryland, so that's not that shocking, but also from Northern Virginia, and they painted over $1 chips from a West Virginia casino. I mean, it's hard to believe that there would be two counterfeit schemes so close together involving a small casino in Maryland. I guess they think it's uh, unrelated. So, as much as I like to fight fraud on this site and on this show, I'm going to give some tips to would-be chip counterfeiters out there. Here are some tips for you. I shouldn't be doing this, but I am. It's, uh, It's late at night and I'm feeling crazy. Number one, make sure the chips are the right size. Number two, 
Have the chips actually manufactured. Do not paint over existing chips. Number three, when you are discarding counterfeit chips, there are many ways to discard them to where they will never be found. For example, go out into the desert somewhere, dig a really deep hole, and bury them. They'll probably never be found. Put them in a heavy bag with rocks in it, a sturdy bag, tie it up and drop it in a deep lake or the ocean. Probably never be found. Throw it in a trash dumpster of a fast food place. Go to a Burger King about 50 miles away from your home. Make sure you don't have any prints on the bag and toss a bag in there. It'll get incinerated just like the rest of the trash that Burger King dumps in there. These are ways you can get rid of your counterfeit chips easily. You don't have to dump them in a lake where they'll float or flush them down the Harris toilet where it will clog the toilet. And by the way, if you are going to flush them down the Harris toilet, at least do it from a public bathroom there. Don't do it from the toilet in your room. Those are some hot tips to get away with counterfeiting chips. Also, in what is truly an unrelated case, if you're going to steal chips from a tournament and use them in another tournament later, make sure nobody's watching, make sure you're not on camera, don't do it during a heads-up match for a World Series of Poker Circuit ring. People will be watching, people will see you pocket a chip, it's not going to work. Also, don't steal a 25000 value chip because that's not very useful to sneak into tournament play. What I'm referring to there is a story I think we gave last week or the week before of a guy, I think it was last week's show, a guy who won a tournament, a World Series of Poker Circuit ring, and it turned out that uh, he stole a 25,000 tournament chip. It was said after the tournament was over, but uh, the news story I'm reading now was that this guy actually took it during play. If he took it during play, it definitely wasn't a, quote, souvenir, like he claimed. Uh, There's a very high chance that he was going to use it later. So that guy has been banned from the World Series in all forms. His money was confiscated that he won from the tournament, and his uh, ring and prize, all that has been confiscated and given to the second-place guy. How happy must the second-place guy be? Imagine you lose a heads-up match to win a World Series of Poker ring and a bunch of money you get second you walk home all frustrated so close yet so far away and then you find out oh you actually won we're disqualifying the other guy here you go I mean how great does that have to feel the question is would you feel like you really won it under the circumstances like it's not like you were cheated directly If the guy beat you, but in the process of beating you snuck one chip out of there to cheat later with, I agree he should be disqualified and banned from the World Series, but the guy who finished second really did lose, and he he probably lost fair and square. But yet he gets to be first. I'd feel kind of cheap if I won that way, but then again, I would not complain. I'd be happy to take the money and the title. I still wouldn't really feel like I won, though. But I will say, one time I did... uh, win something thanks to a disqualification. Uh, Not as easily as that, but in the 2006 Limit Hold'em shootout, which has been eliminated this year, by the way. Eliminated last year, too. um, It was supposed to start with nine people at the table, and a shootout, it's very 
important if someone gets disqualified because uh, they don't replace someone when they bust or when they leave the table. They're just gone. So when an opponent gets eliminated, it's great for everybody else. So a guy at the table, a European guy, had not paid his taxes in some way. I guess he hadn't paid the proper tax withholding or whatever. So they came to him and said, you owe us this much tax withholding from a previous tournament you won here. And the guy said, F you, I'm not giving you anything. They said, all right, well, if you don't give us anything, we can't force you to give us anything, but we are going to kick you out of this tournament and ban you from the World Series till you pay your taxes. And the guy's like, all right, fine, kick me out and ban me. So they did. So they removed him from the table. This could not have been a better tournament for that to happen because at a regular tournament, they just move someone else in his seat and it wouldn't, you know, it'd be one guy out, but it'd be one guy out of hundreds or thousands. It wouldn't matter. But here... I had to win the table in a shootout format, and I have one fewer opponent to beat now. And guess what? I won the table. So it definitely helped me. Now, it was not like I was heads up against the guy. It was a full table at that point. But still, I was happy to see one guy eliminated for nothing because he didn't pay his taxes. And no, I did not feel cheap when I won that table. Okay, so moving to the next topic. Infinity Poker. Infinity Poker. Now, this may sound familiar to you, Infinity Poker. Infinity Poker, you have to go back a little bit to April of 2013. About 10 months ago. Infinity Poker had a great offer. This was posted on a site called... uh, Kijiji.ca, a Canadian site, an investment opportunity. This is before Infinity Poker existed. You could not play on there at this point. This is what it said on Kijiji.ca. Infinity Poker is seeking a strategic partner slash investor to join our team and take part in profit sharing of this lucrative, which is in all caps, and recession-proof $5.3 billion industry. By the way, whenever there's a sales pitch of investing in something and they talk about the money in the industry, there's a high chance it's a scam of some sort. They, they, it's just a very scammy thing to say, is, is talk about the industry rather than the merits of your own product. We have completed development of our, pro- of our proprietary groundbreaking software, and we are poised for our live launch within the next 30 to 45 days. Thus far, we have nearly 2,000 players signed up, and World Series of Poker play bracelet winner Gavin Smith is our site pro. Our technology has grabbed the attention of Bloomberg Business Week, who has featured us in their January 3rd edition, and we will also be highlighted in Forbes magazine upon our launch. All facets of our venture are set and ready to go. Technology, corporate structuring, banking. What we require at this time is a cash infusion to support and facilitate our launch initiative. We can offer a risk-free investment opportunity with a 36-month return on investment return on investment of 273%? <laughs> Listen to that again. We offer a risk-free investment opportunity with 36-month ROI at 273%. So how does he come up with that number? Invest now, and in 36 months, you'll have a 273 return on investment. I mean, (laughs) how can he say that? Where where do you come up with that number? 
For more information about this exciting and rare opportunity, contact Michael at 403-560-2427. So, anyway. They were talking about their groundbreaking software. This is back in April of 2013. It was not groundbreaking at all. It looked very typical. In fact, the software was so ordinary that it could have existed in the year 2000 and would not have been out of place. It was just a very typical kind of you know, basic, low-budget online poker site. So this highly misleading sales pitch about the return of investment of uh, 273% in 36 months, just pulled that out of his ass, the uh, pumping up of the groundbreaking software, it, the whole thing seemed very misleading and very shady, and... I posted about it, especially because uh, Jason Stern, who was involved in uh, another site that was that had failed called uh, Grinders, that had cheated players out of tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Jason Stern was involved with that site, and then he moved on to this project. So it seemed like whatever site Jason Stern was involved with, even though this wasn't his site, he was one of the site pros there, uh, seemed to always be shady. So I posted about that mainly to highlight that Jason Stern moved from one shady project to another. Uh, at the time, we had some angry people showing up. Now, I should note that the day after this post, which is April 22, 2013, when I posted this on Poker Fraud Alert, a Chico Loco made a phone call to the owner of Infinity Poker pretending like he wanted to invest. Now, this call was a prank call. It was also to kind of find out what this guy's deal was, but it was also for comedy purposes. But uh, So first Jason Stern showed up and defended himself here, and then also the owner of Infinity Poker, named Michael Hadjuk, showed up and defended himself with a single post. He called himself Robotoad and defended himself. I'm not going to read his whole response, but uh, at one point he wrote, That goes for you too, Dan. He thought my name was Dan instead of Todd. If you want to talk in any manner about my company, man up and try it first. I'm not all that much concerned about your small ball operation here, as myself in Infinity Poker was featured in the technology section of Bloomberg Business Week in, the early, Jan- in early January. <laughs> He doesn't care about our small ball operation over here on Poker Fraud Alert when Bloomberg Business Week is covering him. He probably took an ad out there or something. Who knows? But anyway, uh, by the way, just being featured in Bloomberg Business Week doesn't mean anything. It just means he probably he either took an ad out there or contacted someone there and got their interest in online poker in general. But that doesn't mean you have a legitimate company. I mean, think of how many... Think of how many business magazines featured Mount Gox, and look where they are now. Anyway, Robotoad here, Michael Hajuk, he showed up after Chico Loco had pranked him, and he realized that he was pranked. At the time, he took the call seriously. So I'm going to play the Chico Loco call from 10 months ago. We've, We've heard it before on this show, but it's now very relevant again. And the reason it's relevant again is that Infinity Poker has gone down with everyone's money, and they're not responding to anyone. So it looks like your money's gone from Infinity Poker. But we'll get to that and what happened there shortly. Uh, here is the call from Chico Loco to Michael Hadjuk, 
and Chico wants to invest. Let's see what happened. It's not a West Coast area code from what I can recognize. Hello? Uh, hello, can I speak to Michael, please? <coughs> Speaking. Yes, um, this is uh, Chico Loco. I, I, I read on its, um, its uh, website uh, from uh, Canada um, about the investment opportunity in, in a, uh, Infinity Poker. Um, is it to call you about this? Yeah, what can I do for you? Yes, um, I, I'm very interested in the uh, the the 273% ROI in the 36 month. Um, I, it sounds like a very good deal to me. Um, people tell me when I make my money to put it in a, a CD in a bank, but it is like a 1% ROI, and that's not very good. Hello. 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 What, what was that? I have no idea. Okay, we we will ignore that and we move on with the conversation. So, I uh, I see that. Is is this on your end? What is the what's with the buttons that are pressing here? It's not my end, man. I'm on, I'm on a cell phone. I'm on a cell phone too. I hope I hope they're not listening to our conversation. I, I won't have a problem with that. Okay, uh, let me let me go on and say, uh, is a risk-free investment opportunity for 36-month ROI. I read here. So, can you tell me about that? I'm sorry. Who am I speaking with? What's your name? Uh, my name is is Juan Loco. They call me El Chico Loco. I'm well known in the poker community in Los Angeles. I play at the Commerce Casino. Oh yeah. How'd you get my number? I I see it on this ad. I see um, um, it says uh, Infinity Poker is a seeking a strategic partner investor to join our team and take part in profit sharing. And it's yeah. So well, yeah. I saw on the site uh, KGG.ca or something like that. Yeah, we we have we have some equity uh, available in the company. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's an online poker business. Uh, we have uh, we have a number of people signed up already to participate in, in playing. Uh, the company is a software development company, but we have offshore subsidiary set up. Uh, it's it's basically the online poker business. You know, we are we're you know, I, in terms of the return on the investment, um, you know, we we. we the operational side of the business draws a percentage of every pot that's taken. Um, yeah, the rule of thumb in this business that for every 1,000 cash players you have playing at your tables, the company's going to make about $570,000 in revenues. Um, so, yeah, so, so look, the, the ROI projection is something that we, we piece together based on industry data and the amount of players that we have registered to the site at this point. But and, uh, you're saying it's risk-free, though. Do, do you know that? The, how do you know that the people are really going to play like this, or you get that many players? He said risk-free means it's no risk for me. Like when I go sit at the poker table, I know maybe I win, maybe I lose. But it's a risk, you know. Even if I am a good player, it's a risk. Sometimes Chico Loco don't win. Sometimes the Iceman take all my money because he frees me, you know. So, so how do I know this is a risk-free opportunity, like you say in their ad? Yeah. Well, it's not a risk-free opportunity. There's nothing in this life that's risk-free. But the reason why I put risk-free is because for the right investor, um, I would have offered a 6% royalty to pay back the amount on the investment that they put in, in addition to the prorated dividend that they would be receiving. I see. And uh, so now, is this site going to be for the players in the U.S. or for players outside the U.S. or both? We will not be taking cash from any U.S. players. Okay, so this is going to be outside the U.S. site, and how is how is this going to be a different site? than there are many many poker sites out there. How, how do I? How is this going to be any different than uh, than a lock poker and a carbon poker and a poker star and full tilt and those other ones? 
we are uh, we are uh, we have some technology, a webcam uh, technology that allows people to see uh, interact with each other. Uh, it's a social media centric uh, design our, our platform. Um, we are utilizing Bitcoin as a as a as a payment processing option for all players. Huh. And uh, you know, so there's a there's a few things that we're doing different than anybody else. Now you say it has a webcam option on there so um can is it people like they can have their cam is is on you can see like them moving like on a live camera as they play poker with you yeah it's fully interactive so so what so what, let's say let's say i'm playing poker and uh and there is a guy at my table and i give him bad beats and then he pulls down his pants and, and you know he shows me thing i do not want to see uh, what do i do about that well if the, there's a um there's a report abuse option on each player's placard, and if there is a majority vote uh, from the table, uh, for the amount of people on the table, uh, then there's an intervene, uh, our uh, customer service department, and they will remove that player. So it has to be to majority vote. So what if, what if, what is this, uh, a guy, he pulled down his pants, but, uh, you know, four of the seven people at the table are gay and they're happy about it. And they say, oh, no, we want to see it again. I say, no, 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 I do not want to see this. But they say, no, no majority rules. Like, what do I do in that situation? I just, I, I'm sorry for asking these questions. I just think about, I, I uh, think about the danger. If you're at a table with a bunch of fags that want to look at the sausage while you're playing, then leave the table and try to join another one. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of straight people playing at the side. Okay, I, I hope so. I, I just afraid. I, I always afraid of the majority rule because sometimes you know the public they do not know what is best for them, and I'm afraid if they make a decision of what I can see on my camera, I'm afraid it, it will uh, it will put me on tilt if I see a bad thing. But I guess if I am the owner of the site, I can make money that way, and I do not have to play. And I don't have to look at people who who uh, you know pull down and uh, show me their the, the, the tamale if uh, if they lose the hand to me. So I guess there's not much concern. I just trying to think from the player's point of view. Um, uh, so sure. you, it says in your article here, it says uh, you're going to be in a in a Forbes magazine, but is upon launch. So you're saying that the the site will not be in Forbes until it is actually running. Is that true? Well, no, the guy, you know, I, I did an interview with Forbes a few months ago, and, uh, you know, he he has all the, the information for the article, and he wants me to keep him posted, and then as we approach our launch date, he will run the article. Okay. Um, I got another question. I, I, I was talking about this with somebody at, at the Commerce Casino. Uh, he told me that uh, that uh, Jason Stern is a part of this, this project, and that get me a little bit mad because I play on a on a site that the Jason Stern is promote before called Grinders, except it's Grinders G R R R R. It's called Grinders. Have you heard of it before? Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, Grinders.com, and it to go down, and he actually owe, owe me a World Series of Poker seat because I win it on there, and last year, and they do not give it to me. I show up, I go, I'm here for my seat, and they go, What? Yeah, we do not have a seat for you. And it turned out that they rip everyone off and they disappear. If you go to grinders.com with the three R's, you will see it is gone. And Jason Stern, he was the face of the site. And someone at Commerce Casino, as I tell them, oh, man, I, I want the 273% ROI. It's much better than my poker income. You know, I, I, I say at poker, maybe I make 10% ROI at best. If I got 273%, that is good investment opportunity. But someone said you stay clear of you stay clear of it because of a uh, Jason Stern. If he is involved with grinders and he is involved with this, this is probably bad that grinders is. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, no, I know Jason Stern, and uh, he was not running the company. He was uh, hired on as a uh, as a site pro. Uh, he was 
in any way involved in the management of that. I know that that company was fucked up in terms of management. Uh, the the owner of the company, I can't recall his name, but uh, yeah, I heard the story that he had uh, set up a bunch of satellites for people to be going to Vegas, and uh, you know, I followed their uh, I followed their uh, their community blog there for a bit, and uh, yeah, people were pissed off at the the owner not Jason nothing to do with that. But but he is but he is still part of this site. Is that correct? What site? I, I was told that Jason is a part of, of Infinity Poker now. I don't know. I, I talked to him about a possible uh, sponsorship deal at one point, and uh, we, we were talking back and forth. But you know, because we haven't launched, we haven't really officially aimed anything at all. Okay, but but you, but you already have a Gavin Smith. He is on on board. Is that is that correct? Yeah, Gavin's on board. Yeah. Okay, and. Um, Okay, so Gavin Smith is is he's going to be part of this, and uh, you say oh, one other question I have for you, uh, then I let uh, you go. Hang on, I got I got a couple of questions of my own here. Yeah, uh, go are ahead. You an accredited, are you an accredited investor? Am I what? An accredited investor. Um, I do not know what the accredited investor means. I I have some credit if you, you want. Personal, do you have a personal net value of over a million dollars? If you're saying no, uh, two millions if you're married. You asking if if I have if if I have no, that, that, yeah yeah you need to you need to be an accredited investor which means you have to have a certain amount of assets personal assets in order because we have to we're going by the Alberta Securities Commission and uh, there's certain there's certain criteria that our investors have to meet because we didn't go public and we didn't offer a um, uh, a member a memorandum of offering or anything like that we're just uh, basically going with uh, friends and family and accredited investors. Okay, so when you are asking me if I have a million dollars uh, in assets, does this mean that this is does this mean the assets I acquire through uh, um, legal means or just assets I can show I have? Because I have some I have some assets that I got in ways I probably do not want to say, but I can show I have them. No, it would have to be it would have to be uh, something something paper, you know, I mean something that could be. Because I, I, well, I, I don't know if it's satisfying. I have some things that is the street value of a million dollars, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah. so you're well, you're I mean, saying that in order to invest, that I need accredited investments of one million dollars. Is that sure. what you're saying? Yeah. Did you like my imitation of of uh, Doctor Evil? I've been tra- practicing that a long time. It's one of my favorite movie. That's pretty good. Yes. So. I like the music. Yeah, no, I, I I get that already. I think maybe you laugh if I say that. Okay, so so I need I need a million dollar to uh to 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 invest in no, it. Million dollars. You just need you just need to have you just need to have those uh you, you need to have a net worth of that amount. Well, property and uh, cash and bank accounts. And all what that. what what if I can show you a million dollar balance on full tilt? Is that good? No. Oh, okay. Um. I have to see about maybe if I can convert some of the assets I have to where it is something I can show in a method that you would find uh, you would find good. Uh, so, what what other questions do you have for me? That's the one. That's pretty much the only one. Okay. So, what I will do is uh, I I will contact my uh, business manager or what what I kind of call him. And, and see what I can do with the the assets I have that do definitely have a street value of one million dollars, but I do not know I have to convert. But once I get convert, I give you call back, and uh, we see if we can proceed with this. And uh, you, so in thirty six months, I should have 
273%. So to be clear, would I make 273%? So would I make 2.73 million? Or would my 1 million just become 273 million? Or 2.73 million? It's, um... You know my difference is here. When, when you make 2.73%, then you actually have your original million plus the, two point, the 273%, which gives you 373 million. Yeah. So you're saying that yeah. that is what I'm looking at here if I do this, but uh, I need to be have a accredited asset, as you say. Okay, so I look into doing making my assets more accredited, and uh, I give you a call back when I get that done. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Okay, it's good. Okay, uh, bye-bye. Thank you for the information. No problem. Take care, Chico. All right, so that was the call El Chico Loco made, and you, there were some uh, humorous moments there, of course, but uh, this was almost, I mean, actually more than 10 months ago. So why am I playing an old Chico Loco call on today's show? I definitely didn't need to go to the bathroom again. I already had eight minutes to do that during the Garden of City group call. So why would I have played that here? Well, as I said before, Infinity Poker is down. <laughs> Chico Loco was right to be suspicious. Now, I'm going to read you some other excerpts from Michael Hajuk's post on Poker Fraud Alert back in April 2013. I would suggest to the owners of this gossip column rag that you should keep your focus on sites that are actually live and taking money from players as that would be in the player's best interest. You are calling fraud on us? Why? We clearly have a product which has a ton of acclaim, I might add. It is clearly just in beta mode. We're working out bugs and focusing to lo- on load testing and balancing. Maybe I should, if, if, Actually, if he can balance loads, maybe I should have him work on this server. So what's the fraudulent issue? And uh, later, he writes, Anyways, that's all I'm willing to devote to this sideshow. I'm certain that my post here will be removed as it would be the nature of ownership here to do the non-classy thing and allow myself to defend my company's position. And by the way, of course I didn't remove this. Isn't it funny that it is always those with a complete lack of integrity they are always accusing others for the same? So basically the guy saying, I have no integrity, that I'm going to censor him in some way, which is so ridiculous. I've never censored anybody anybody who's come to defend themselves on this or any other site that I have run. I've never said you're not allowed to put out your point of view or your rebuttal to my accusation about you. Never. So that's a completely baseless accusation. And to say that uh, it's those without integrity that make accusations about others not having integrity, that's not even true. Usually... In the poker world, as you've seen, when someone is accused of being shady or a scammer, it's almost always true. There are very few false accusations of that nature. Very few. So he's saying it's always this situation. No, it isn't. What it really is always is that the person accused, when they are looking shady from first glance, they really are shady. Well, indeed, Infinity Poker is gone. Well, some people are actually defending them still. That uh, this wasn't a scam, but more of a bad business plan or maybe bad luck. Now, I need to go back a little bit 
to December 2013, eight months after this whole thing on Poker Fraud Alert with Chico Loco. In December, December 12, 2013, they were sending out emails to people who had registered, pre-registered for the site, about their soft launch. It says, at infinitypoker.com, the world's most interactive and entertaining poker site, we guarantee the easiest, most efficient, and secure way to play cash games. And they were allowing you to deposit with cash or Bitcoin. Yes, they were accepting Bitcoin. But you were playing in cash. Now, you can probably already see the problem here. Um, First of all, when a site does this, when a site accepts Bitcoin and cash, what they're doing is allowing themselves to become Bitcoin speculators. Because if the Bitcoin value goes up or down then they can lose money based upon the Bitcoin transaction. The only way they wouldn't is if they immediately sell the Bitcoin upon receiving it. But that's very hard to do if you're running an active poker site. Uh, There are sites that only take Bitcoin out there that you can gamble on. There are sites, most of the sites, that you can only deposit cash. But this one took cash and Bitcoin. Well, we know what just happened to Mt. Gox. Now, it's not clear where the Bitcoin was being held. It could have been on Mt. Gox, and maybe that's why they went down. Also, keep in mind that December 12th, Bitcoin was near its peak value. And it's worth a lot less today than it was on December 12th, even ignoring the Mt. Gox thing. But I don't think that's it. I guess it's possible Mt. Gox took their money, but that would be an easy way out for them. That would be an easy way to stall people. Uh, What's basically happened here is they pulled a disappearing act. And whenever a disappearing act is pulled, that means, in almost all cases, I'm guilty. When something bad happens and it's not your fault, and you know people are going to find out eventually, human nature is such that you want to blame the person who's at fault if it's not you. You don't want to just shrug your shoulders and run off and make it look like you were the one who screwed up when someone else screwed up. So if they trusted their Bitcoin to Mt. Gox and Mt. Gox screwed them, well, that's almost, not quite, but almost an acceptable excuse. Everybody trusted Mt. Gox for so long. How could we have predicted this was going to happen? It's unfortunate, but Infinity wasn't trying to steal. Infinity wasn't scamming anyone. Infinity wasn't dipping into player funds. They just got their Bitcoin stolen by Mt. Gox. But they haven't said that. So it's probably not what happened. So, as I said, they were taking Bitcoin and cash. And uh, then the problem started. Remember, they only started in December to actually take players. And we're only in February, so we're only talking about two months here. Two and a half months. And uh, now they're gone. Now the site never got off the ground. Which is not surprising. A 
poker site in today's day and age, it's very tough to get anything really going. It's really tough to break through and become a major competitor at this point. It's kind of too late in the game here. It's a different story for the legalized online sites in the U.S. in the right markets, but uh, you know the, the, the sites in the old model, it's very hard to start a new one and be successful at this point. And you can claim, oh, it's revolutionary, oh, we have webcams, yeah. Uh, people aren't excited by that. People are not going to be excited by anything in online poker right now, except for the ability to play legally in the U.S. That's the only thing that will excite people at the moment. So that was the first problem with this whole business idea. It also seems like the guy was spending a lot of money without uh, really having the clear knowledge that it will succeed. And a lot of businesses make that mistake. A lot of businesses are too optimistic, are convinced they're going to succeed big time, spend a lot of money up front, and then can never recoup it. Instead of starting small with a low budget and growing as their business grows, which is the right approach, um, a lot of businesses do the opposite and just sink a ton of money in up front that's unnecessary. But uh, they have uh, pulled a vanishing act. Uh First, uh, when they first opened, they already had a problem that uh, they had very few players, and and the ones that were there, a number of them were engaging in uh, collusion and chip-dumping. So, Infinity Poker addressed that, banned those players, even confiscated some of their funds. I'll take a call here, what the hell. Call, you're on the air. I was just making sure you... Uh, I can't hear you very well. Hello? Yes. Hello. Well, I don't know if this is on my end or his end, but uh, let me go on here. Infinity had a director of social media named Eduardo Jackson, and he had posted a lot on Facebook and even on 2 Plus 2. His name on there was JCM Swag. Uh, JCM Swag, Eduardo Jackson, has disappeared. Last thing that was heard from him was on February 17th. He said, I have no problem delivering bad news. However, I have a problem delivering no news. And he hasn't said anything since then. So he may have a problem delivering no news, but that's what he's done. He's delivered no news. Um, But that's kind of a cryptic message. It could mean that he's not getting information from the only guy who really knows, the owner, Michael Hajuk, and... He's kind of quitting, in a way. That's not what he said directly, but if you read between the lines, that, that might be what he's trying to say. Is I would tell you guys if you're screwed, but no one's telling me anything, and I'm, I'm afraid to tell you guys that I know nothing. So, I think that they just spent too much money. I think they blew the player deposits that they had. I don't think there were that many player deposits. It was a small site with very few players. But I think they blew their own money, their investors' money, and the players' money. Now they're totally flat broke. And they closed up shop. Like many of these online poker sites that scammed people, I don't believe Infinity Poker started out as a scam. 
I think it started out as a stupid idea, an overreaching idea, an overly optimistic idea, and when it did not succeed, they dipped into player funds, and when the, that when that did not rescue them, they ran off. A lot of these start out as businesses that would be legitimate if they succeeded, but don't have a problem stealing from people if they don't succeed. Kind of like a free roll. But it wasn't a complete free roll because... I think this guy lost a lot of his own money, and I think he lost his investors' money, whoever was dumb enough to invest in it. Also, uh, Gavin Smith left there at some point before this for whatever reason. So, I'd be very surprised if there's any kind of happy ending for Infinity Poker. And... uh, I think that they were hoping to use the Bitcoin angle to become huge. But look, the truth is, if you want to play for cash, there's a ton of sites out there for that. And you know they're not taking U.S. players anyway. And if you want to play for Bitcoin, there's sites for that. So they really weren't fulfilling a new market. It's not like an existing site that says, hey, we're taking Bitcoins now, too. It's not like Merge says, okay, we're taking Bitcoins and everyone gets excited. Uh, This is a new site. No one's going to get excited about a new unestablished small site, a tiny site, that's taking Bitcoins and cash. So the the whole business model was messed up. And that's that. 775-455-775-372-8355 702-430-1808 you can also chat in the seriouslyserious.com slash radio chat room. Still reading that. Well, speaking of online poker, on the legalized side of things, I have two stories about that. Nevada and Delaware have formed the first online poker partnership of the legalized sites in the U.S., and that's, that's a very big deal. Not for the actual poker games, but for the future of legalized online poker in the U.S. I believe that within some years, most of the country will be able to play online poker. Legally. Safely. No fear of having your money stolen. But it's not going to happen immediately. It'll take some time. After Black Friday, I outlined, I think even before Black Friday I said this, I outlined what I felt was the likely path to getting online poker legalized. I did not think there was going to be some sweeping federal bill that would just make federal online poker legal in the U.S. where all the states can play against one another. I didn't believe that. I didn't think that poker stars in full tilt would be able to offer games to U.S. players like they were before. I didn't think that. I thought that it would begin with states offering games to its own residents and people within its borders. And that once that got established and it went off successfully without any kind of PR disaster, that the next step would be states cooperating with one another, where they'd be sharing player pools. Then more states would cooperate with one another. 
then other states that weren't involved in online poker would get involved because they'd see the other states making money from it and become jealous, and they'd want it too. And then they would start cooperating with other states, and pretty soon we would have like a pseudo-federal online poker room where you have a whole lot of states cooperating with one another where even if you don't have all 50 states involved, you have enough to where a large portion of the United States can now log on and play against people all over the country legally on regulated sites. And eventually after that, some kind of federal bill would come come around and make it legal throughout the U.S., maybe even to where a few states can opt out if they want states that are really against gambling, like Utah. But that the vast majority of Americans would be able to play on a federal site rather than a state site, or state sites that are combining with one another. So, last year, when Ultimate Poker became the first legalized online poker site in the U.S., in Nevada... That was a very big moment. That was about a year ago. A little bit less. The second big moment has just occurred. And that is Nevada and Delaware forming this partnership to where they will be able to share player pools. It hasn't happened yet, to my knowledge. I I haven't followed in the last few days, but... I don't believe anything's happened yet, but it is now legal for Nevada and Delaware to share player pools for them to play against one another. Now, Delaware is so tiny. They have a population of less than a million. And a million sounds like a lot of people, but you need a huge population because only a tiny percentage of that population is going to play online poker. So you really need a very large population to support online poker. Nevada has a population of like 2.8 million. Delaware has a population of like 925,000. Uh, New Jersey, which is the third state, uh, they they have like 8.8 million people. So they have more action than Nevada does, obviously, because their population is much bigger. But even New Jersey has been somewhat disappointing. Uh, What's really needed is a huge state like California with over 30 million people, or another big state like New York or Texas to legalize it. Then you will have some active rooms. Or if you have a number of states combining, you'll have some active rooms. So Nevada and Delaware combining is not that exciting. You go from a state with 2.8 million people, Nevada, to combined about 3.7 million. Big deal. That's still less than half of New Jersey, which by itself has not been all that impressive yet. So why get so excited? reason get so excited is that it has been done. The states have gone through with it. And so far, the federal government has not put a stop to it. They haven't interfered yet. If they don't interfere, this will set an example that this is okay. And then other states will feel free to try this and start to share player pools. And pretty soon, it won't matter if an individual state is tiny because they can share player pools with other states. And combined, they can have a pretty large number. Now, California, they're already starting to make motions, the Indian tribes there that own casinos in California, they're trying to make motions to be able to run legalized online poker there, which would be huge. It's starting to happen. It is starting to happen. And California is not going to happen right now. I don't think we're going to see it in 2014, maybe not even in 2015. 
But it'll happen More and more states are going to jump aboard They won't be able to resist the Free revenue it brings They'll see that uh, Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey While they're not making huge money They are making money for the state And there haven't really been problems There's been customer service problems There's been fail as far as the games How they run I mean these sites have been pretty poorly run For the most part But as far as PR disasters We haven't had that problem We haven't had issues where Kids are playing all the time And the media is reporting on how it's corrupting our children I, I knew that wouldn't happen we haven't had any kind of big cheating scandal. You know, we we haven't had anything that's putting a big black eye on any of the legalized sites. I wouldn't say they're doing the greatest job, but they they they've kept their noses clean. So, barring some kind of PR disaster, other states are going to want to join in with this. And pretty soon, we're going to have a whole lot of states all linking up. There was a question about what to do about the rake problem The rake problem is Who gets the rake If you have players from different states at different tables And uh, It looks like what was hammered out was that It depends upon where the player is That wins the pot and pays the rake So whoever pays the rake Whatever state they're in That's where uh, the rake will go That sounds fair So There's still a lot of details to be hammered out To get uh, it legal in a state like California Still a lot of states that are kind of skittish About ever joining in with this But it's going to happen There's going to become more and more And in a few years Most of us will be able to play online poker again That's what I think Legally Without worrying about your money disappearing Always knowing that your money is backed And highly unlikely to disappear Knowing that there's State gambling regulations Governing Your money that's sitting there I still don't know if it'll be 100% safe To keep your entire bankroll there Probably not Especially because you're still Vulnerable to things like hackers Like someone hacking your account and dumping your money But uh, I I would never advise doing that But it's a hell of a lot safer than anything we've had before So I will be happy when that day comes I have enjoyed playing the legalized poker that I've played so far in Nevada I've kind of played on and off But uh, it's a much... Better feeling to know that I'm playing On regulated licensed rooms And I hope this becomes The reality for other states And I hope that The states link up as much as possible So we have a big player pool And maybe we'll even see a second poker boom But there's still a lot of fish out there There are still a lot of fish Out there That Will be very easy For us to beat When I say us, I mean Most people listening to this radio show Most people listening to this show are competent players Not everybody listening is a great player Or even a really good player But most people listening here are competent players Most people listening to this show Would crush your typical fish Your typical casual player A few of you might be casual players And that's fine But 
for the vast majority of people listening to this show, this is a great thing. If we see legalized, regulated online poker, where it's easy to deposit and easy to cash out. Now, depositing, by the way, is a little harder than I thought it would be because a lot of the banks don't want to have anything to do with gambling, even if it's legal and regulated. People have reported a lot of trouble depositing onto the existing legal rooms. In fact, I advised people to use Citibank because Citibank seems very cooperative with letting you deposit. A lot of other banks are not. So that could still be a problem, but it's a minor problem because they'll find ways around that. If it's legal, they'll always find payment processors who will do it. The illegal payment processors, they were really taking a huge risk, which is why they were charging so much money, and then a lot of them were really shady people who were just running off with millions of dollars of the site's money. Remember that one guy uh, ran off with like $100 million of PokerStars money. PokerStars and Fultil's money. Forgetting the guy's name now. It's on the tip of my tongue. Bobby Orr saying online poker has passed you by, Druff. I don't, I don't know why he's saying that. Um, I, I haven't played it that much recently, but, uh, you know, when, when I, I, I played poker, uh, you know, I play live sometimes. I play online sometimes on the Nevada sites. I think I'm still pretty much the same player as I was. In fact, I think I've uh, improved. I always try to improve myself and learn from past mistakes. I think every day I I get a little bit better. Of course, so does everybody else. All right, so uh, one other piece of news in the legalized gambling front. South Point. Remember everyone was excited South Point was going to be the first online poker site I mean, this is as early as, like, October 2012 they were talking about it. I don't know what the hell happened. They even had applications on their site in 2012 where you could apply to go work for them. I even tried. Uh, For some reason, South Point, which is a a casino south of the main area of Las Vegas, that's why it's called the South Point. It's the first thing you, you pass when you get into the Vegas area, uh, going north on the 15 from the L.A. area. But South Point, uh, they were going to be the first. They ended up being the third. I don't know why it took almost a year and a half, but they have finally launched a site called Real Gaming. So they're Nevada's third legal online poker site. And big surprise, so far it is a fail site. It has very little traffic. No one's really interested. And the reason is that there just are are not enough players in Nevada to support three sites. In fact, there's not even enough players in Nevada to support two sites. Ultimate Poker has been struggling a lot since WSOP.com launched and eventually took their traffic. I'm going to look at uh, Poker Scout right now, see what I can see what they're reporting on the numbers here. Let me uh, click on US here. So, uh, Ultimate Poker Nevada right now, at this moment, has 60 cash players. Now, this is the middle of the night, but even at the peak, over the last 24 hours, the most they ever had online in the last 24 hours was 169 players, so not exactly a bustling site. And... 
I can't even find I can't even find real poker on here. It's pretty sad. <laughs> anyway, WSOP.com has 104 cash players on right now and 244 at the 24 hour peak. So, they're not doing great either, but uh, better than Ultimate Poker. There really just isn't room for a third legalized room in Nevada right now. Maybe I mean, combining with Delaware is going to do nothing. Delaware is so tiny. Uh, it says right now, zero cash players on Delaware Poker right now, and 40 at the peak. <laughs> zero cash players on. And... If you look at this right now, a whopping 164 cash players are on playing in Nevada total. 164, the whole state of Nevada. Out of 2.8 million people. They've got 164 people. At the peak combined, they still didn't have more than, uh, much more than 400 people. Looks like around uh, 415 or so. That's at the peak. So there's no room for a third poker room at this point. I mean, I guess since they built it, they figure they might as well put it up, but there's not much future for a Nevada-only online poker room. And I think we're going to see some of these rooms eventually crash down. I, I think eventually the stronger ones will survive and the weaker ones will just close shop. Not cheat people, not run off Infinity Poker style, but just uh, say, sorry, we're, we're out of business uh, in the online poker industry. Cash out your money, goodbye. I, I think that's the future for some of these rooms that just uh, aren't really taking off. And I think real gaming will be the first to go in Nevada. Truth be told, I don't know how much of a future Ultimate Poker has, period. Uh, they're not doing very well in New Jersey. They're doing even worse in uh, in Las Vegas. Actually, according to Poker Scout, they're doing better in Vegas than New Jersey. But whatever, they're just not doing that well. And there's too many big brands that are beating them with better software and... Uh, in some cases, more trusted names like WSOP and, and Party Poker. So, uh, I, I think those dominant brands will end up being the brands that survive and the fringe ones are not going to make it. But we'll see. A lot of things can change. If you remember, back in 2001, you had Paradise Poker as the big deal. And what happened to them? Paradise Poker and True Poker and Party Poker was this upstart that was just getting going late in the year. So things can change quickly. But I wouldn't count on it. But enjoy your Bitcoin Poker while you can. That's not going to last forever. At least not in the U.S. Especially with recent developments on Mount Gox, I think the U.S. government's going to get involved.
to compare, by the way, on Poker Stars right now, 75,000 people. I don't know if they're all playing cash, but I mean, it's just huge compared to these little U.S. sites right now. 775 fraud 55 775 372 and 702-430-1808 are our phone numbers. Of course, the 775 number, you can call or text. Question from Vegetera. Have you won at the online poker in Nevada? Overall, yes. I have won on WSOP.com. I have lost, but not a whole lot, on Ultimate Poker. But I haven't played a whole lot on either. So results are inconclusive. They, the results really have more to do with how I ran than whether I was... Uh, Better or worse than the competition I will say I, I did find some good games there And I, I will admit that I played some of the games Out of boredom when they weren't that good So I wasn't game selecting that well Truthfully But but I, I did play in a number of games that were good That had some fish Or at least some players that were I knew were substantially Worse than me and the other pros So uh, I, I think there is money to be won on those sites it's a matter of how often the games go. Well, Absolute Poker owner and cheater Brent Beckley, he was actually convicted as a result of the Black Friday indictments. Uh, he's out of prison and he's trying to get reestablished. Brent Beckley has started Beckley and Company. If you go to their website, their webpage, which is BeckleyCompany.com, that's B-E-C-K-L-E-Y Company.com, B-E-C-K-L-E-Y Company.com. It's a very inspirational picture of uh, two people. It looks like uh, I think a male and a female, but I, I can't tell. Climbing a mountain. It's almost like out of The Sound of Music. They're climbing a mount, a rocky mountain, beautiful scenery, and it says, Beckley and company, realize your potential for cheating to new heights. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Brent Beckley is running a, a company here in the U.S.? But he is. And uh, it's pretty obnoxious. So you you go to this inspirational front page, uh, convert more customers and keep them longer. Learn how. It's it's scrolling across the page. Reduce processing costs and minimize fraud risk. Yeah, I I guess Brent Beckley would know about minimizing fraud risk since uh, he was on the supply side of fraud. So I I guess he would know how to minimize it. (laughs) But uh, uh, the Beckley Company is Brent Beckley's attempt to become legitimate after making his money illegitimately and stealing from his own customers. I wonder if anyone's going to fall for this. They probably will. I, I, I don't know who he's marketing this to or what potential customers he's found. But, uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, to see this, pretty disturbing.
do that. Inverted sound effect there. Sorry about that. This is what I meant to do. Brent Beckley is trying to reinvent himself. Brent Beckley, the founder. This is from the About page on the website. Brent Beckley is an experienced senior executive that is insistent on world-class customer experience. At Beckley & Company, the consulting firm that Brent founded in 2011, he leads an expert team that develops strategies to keep to help corporate clients optimize their systems and processes that cultivate customer relationships. Alright, stop the music. Stop, stop the music right here. Hang on a second. Hang on one second here. He founded this company in 2011. Let me think about that. What happened in 2011? What, what happened in 2011? Oh, I know. Black Friday happened in 2011. April 15, 2011. Black Friday. UB, which was combined with AP. Brand Beckley's company. They went down as a result of Black Friday. And guess what was found out? Just like Full Tilt, they had stolen all the customer deposits. In addition to cheating the customers by looking at their whole cards, they also stole their customer deposits and there was nothing left. So after that happened, after AP was no longer, thanks to Black Friday, after they stole all the money, then Brent founded this company, Beckley and Company, in 2011 to lead an expert team that develops strategies to help corporate clients optimize the systems and processes that cultivate customer relationships. I mean, uh, customer relationships, if you call relationships stealing from them, actually, sure. Brent and his team help corporate executives with an evaluation process that identifies erosion in areas of customer loyalty, quantifies the cost impact, and devises an implement system adjustment to reduce costs, grow revenue, and increase profits. What a lot of bullshit. Now let's say you want to find out about Brent Beckley and you don't know you don't already know that he was an online poker thief. Here's the much sanitized version of the Brent Beckley story. More than 10 years ago, Brent started out as a pioneer in the rapid growth world of online poker. Along the way, he developed a passion for global e-commerce platform strategy and became uniquely adept at creating excellence and efficiency within business operations. <laughs> I guess it's efficient to steal from your customers depositing into the online poker site. I guess it's an efficient way to make money. I I won't argue that Brent wasn't efficient in what he did. He he was the manager of the uh of the cashier department, whatever you called it over there at AP. He was the one who managed the deposits and withdrawals over there. 
Brent served as Director of Global Operation and E-Commerce for Blanca Games Incorporated, which is AP, where he headed multinational business operations for an online provider of casino games that uh, cheated everyone. I want to hack this page to change it to the truth. He maximized efficiencies in transaction routing and payment processing for more than $5 billion in volume. Yeah, then where'd all the money go? He designed and coordinated the development of the e-commerce platform that integrated more than 150 payment processors and optimized custom back-office functionality for more than 8 million users. All of whom had their money confiscated and stolen by the owners of the company. With a focus on customer satisfaction. (laughs) With a focus on customer satisfaction. Brent designed and implemented effective risk management tools and procedures to keep chargebacks and transactional risk at a minimum. Isn't that great? By the way, Brent is a graduate from the University of Montana where he met other wonderful gentlemen like Scott Tom and Oscar Hill Tatum, who also stole it from people, and lives with his wife and two children in Salt Lake City. And speaking of Salt Lake City, if you look at the picture of Brent, he looks like such a nice, sweet, wholesome, Mormon type of guy. But don't they all, these white-collar thieves? He lives with his wife and two children. I wonder if his two children are going to grow up one day and Google him and realize their father was a piece of shit who stole from everyone. I I wonder if that's going to happen. I'd be embarrassed. You know, one thing that's tough about living in today's world, we have a lot of advantages living in 2014 versus people in prior times. Better medical technology, much better computer technology in general. I mean, look at the smartphones you're carrying around. We didn't even have that 10 years ago. Uh, So many things are more efficiently done. There are so many advantages you can enjoy by living in today's age rather than 30 years ago or 60 years ago or more. But one disadvantage is that the internet, which is a very useful tool, which is allowing me to broadcast this radio show to you, the internet also has an unlimited memory. If you participate in the internet, what you say there will stick with you forever. It's kind of scary, but if people attach your real name to your internet posts, your descendants 200 years from now may read those posts and say, hey, look what an asshole my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was. They may actually say that when they see what you posted. It'll all be available. Believe me. Especially because the cost of storing data in 200 years will be a fraction of the cost of storing data today so they can easily store the entire contents of today's web in the future without batting an eyelid and access it very quickly and easily. So the days of saying, oh, I, I know I have some ancestor who you know, lived in this place 
200 years ago, but I know nothing about them. I mean, how much do you know about your ancestors from the 1700s, 1800s? Probably just about nothing. But that won't be the case in a few hundred years when we're all dead. Uh, Our descendants will know a lot about us, especially those of us that choose to participate in the Internet. But I'm hoping people like Brent Beckley, even while he's alive, like when his kids get old enough to Google him and see the story of what he did, provided he doesn't convince them that these are lies and provided they don't grow up to be as crooked as he is, I hope that affects him one day. And at least these things are hard to hard to escape. So that's the Beckley Company. Um, it, it seems what they're doing here is uh, it, it seems like almost like a company that advises your corporation on how to act more efficiently. Probably with a focus on payment processing Because that's probably Brent Beckley's specialty From his work with AP But you definitely would never want to hire this guy Super shady Oh, this is interesting Not about Brent Beckley In fact, I I think I have to give this one uh, An update sound For unknown reasons, Bitcoin has dropped in value during this show. Hasn't been a major drop just yet, but it has sharply dropped in what looks like the last few minutes, or maybe the last hour or so, from around uh, 580 to 565. Wow. Wonder why that is. Maybe this is the correction I was talking about. I just don't believe that Bitcoin is going to stay at this level. I think there's going to be another fallout from Mt. Gox. So watch for it. Watch for it and buy it before it bounces back. But make sure it's bouncing back before you buy it. Don't just pick a point. But if you're going to pick a point, pick a round number. It seems like they will often go to a round number like 500 or 400 before rebounding. There's a psychological factor to a lot of this. People go, okay, when it gets below 500, I'm buying in. When it gets to 500, I'm buying in. I've heard a lot of people say that when it gets to 500, I'm buying in. So when a bunch of people buy in at 500, then it goes back up. So if you're going to set a target, set a target that's a round number. That's my advice. Well, finally, I'm going to finish the show here with an editorial about Obamacare. Now, let me start off by giving a disclaimer. Most of you know this already, but I am a Republican. I have always been a Republican. Um, I'm not a Tea Party person. I actually wish the Tea Party didn't exist. I think they're embarrassing the party. I am not... Part of the religious right As you know I'm Jewish I'm not even a Christian So I'm definitely not a Republican From that point of view I do have some Viewpoints That are Different than Many Traditionally held Republican views For example uh, 
I'm fine with the whole gay marriage thing. I, I'm not against that. And um, there's other issues where I'm not completely in line with the party. But for the most part, I agree much more with the Republicans than the Democrats. But when it came to the health care reform, I didn't like what either party wanted to do. I felt that the Republicans were leaning too much toward the status quo and were just generally proposing inaction. And I felt that Barack Obama and the Democrats with Obamacare were solving a few problems but introducing a lot more, implementing it poorly. And this is even before the fail site of healthcare.gov came out. And also failing to address a lot of big problems in healthcare, such as the skyrocketing costs. Obamacare might be making healthcare more accessible to people who couldn't get it before, but it's not lowering the overall cost of healthcare for our country. In fact, it's raising it, and that's a problem. But I'm not going to make this a show about Obamacare and its flaws. I'm going to relate this directly to pro poker players because a lot of pro poker players listen to this show, and a lot of people listening to this show are interested in the lives of pro poker players. As you know, I'm a pro poker player. I haven't played as much poker in recent years as I had in the past, but I still consider myself a pro poker player. I have to buy my own health insurance. I am one of the people who was directly affected by Obamacare. I was paying... $172 a month for my health insurance. I had what was a catastrophic plan, meaning that it was designed to cover either really small things or, or really big things. Anything in the middle, for example, what just happened to me recently where I, uh, broke my ribs and uh, thought I may have had internal injuries and had to have a CAT scan. Uh, that's not covered very well by my health care. It's a medium thing. The reason I got a catastrophic plan is because the monthly premium is relatively low. And I'm willing to gamble that I'm not going to need health insurance for medium things. To where, you know, if the worst case scenario is I pay $6,000, $7,000, I'm not happy about it, but I can afford it. It's not going to break me. What I don't want is to get a bill for $50,000, $100,000, a million dollars. That's what I'm trying to prevent. And I also like being able to have my routine office visits for like, you know, 40 bucks. So that's what my plan does. Uh, That's the type of plan I had. I could have even paid less with a higher deductible, but I I had $172 was my plan. And before that, I was paying $144 before my rates had gone up. So pretty good rates considering that I'm over 40. For a very similar plan, that's a little bit more, but not that much more, I'm going to be paying over $250 on Obamacare. Very similar plan. So it's costing me about 50% more per month for basically the same thing. Why is that? Well, it's because Obamacare requires that everyone is covered. The government does put in subsidies for people who can't afford it. 
and the health insurance companies now have to accept people with pre-existing conditions. Now, there did need to be reform on that. If you wanted an individual plan before, it was very tough to get one if you had the slightest pre-existing condition. Fortunately, I didn't have that. I don't have any kind of pre-existing condition. I I don't have any ongoing health problems. But people who do, even ones that are fairly minor, were getting denied because the insurance company didn't want to take any customer that was going to cost them money right off the bat. It also became a game of roll and re-roll between the patients and the insurance companies where basically the insurance company would try to find a way to deny claims that were large. So let's say you had a $300,000 medical bill on an individual plan. Uh, The insurance company would then try to find every reason not to cover you and every reason to retroactively invalidate your plan claiming that you lied on your application, even if you didn't. So there were a lot of cases of that. And then there were also cases where people would sign up for health insurance only when they knew they were sick, but to where it hasn't been diagnosed officially yet. So they know they're going to have something really expensive coming up. They hadn't been paying into the system. And right then, they they get their health insurance. And the next month, they have to have uh, uh, major expensive procedures. And the insurance companies have to fill, foot the bill. That's not right either. So Obamacare addressed that part of it by forcing the insurance companies to take everyone on individual plans, regardless of their health condition. And everyone pays the same thing. That is, everyone based upon their age. So, a very sick 41-year-old, because I'm 41, a very sick 41-year-old would pay the same thing as me. Which is crazy. So, for that reason, to compensate for the ones that are going to be taking a lot more out of the system and paying very little into it because they already have pre-existing conditions, they have to charge the healthy people more. Which is a penalty against the healthy people. And while it's often not people's fault that they have health problems, um, the bottom line is, if you need the services, you should pay for them. And I can understand where people who have existing health problems, or who have, you know, just a worse lot in life as far as their health is concerned. They shouldn't be devastated financially by it. But at the same time, they shouldn't be paying the identical rates to people who are healthy. They should be paying more, especially if they can afford it, especially if they're not uh, you know, on the poverty line. And if they're on the poverty line, of course, uh, the government's subsidizing them anyway. So this is what forced my rates up. And I I think it's crazy because you could be a billionaire and be sick and you could get an individual plan and pay the same thing as me who's healthy. So it's just not fair. Uh, That's one of many ways it was poorly implemented. Poorly conceived. Now, another problem with Obamacare is that young people are just not signing up for it. There is a penalty, a small penalty right now, if you don't sign up for health care. But a lot of young people say, hey, screw this, especially with the rates getting so much higher, they they don't want to pay it. They say, hey, the chance of me needing any kind of major health care is pretty low. I'm going to chance it. Screw it. 
and um, they don't bother to sign up. They also know that you know if they get in some terrible accident, the emergency room has to treat them. They can't just let them die. So they're willing to take a chance. So they're not signing up, and the young, healthy people who are supposed to be supporting the system are not supporting the system as would be expected. But let's get back to the pro poker player thing. It is tough being a pro poker player. It is tough surviving financially as a pro poker player. There are so many things working against you. You have luck and variance working against you. You have increasingly harder games working against you. You have a downturn in the economy working against you where people who don't have as much money to gamble anymore stop going to the poker tables. I'm talking about casual players. You have increasing rake working against you where the rate keeps going up and up and up and that eats into your profits big time. You have other expenses related to your gambling. If you're a tournament player, all the expenses of traveling. If Even if you're a cash player, uh, the, the expenses of, uh, of eating while you're at the poker room, if, you know, if, it, if that costs money, even if it doesn't. Um, you just have your... There's a lot you have to overcome. You have to play high enough to where you can make a living, but you can't play too high to where it can devastate you if you go through a bad run. You have to be in that sweet spot where you're playing high enough to support yourself, but not too high to where you can't devastate yourself if you go on a losing streak. And then, of course, there's the psychological factors. There's the other leagues you can end up developing where you can develop a gambling problem very easily in other areas. Even if you're a winning poker player, you can start to develop gambling issues where you start to want to gamble in negative expectation games or or think you can beat sports betting when you can't. Uh, There's the exposure to the seedier sides of life, such as drugs, which can cause everything to come crashing down if abused. Very few poker pros make it in the long term as poker pros. It just it requires a lot of discipline. So the last thing poker pros need now is a new cost heaped upon their heads. And that's what Obamacare is. I am not unique in that my rates went up 50% per month to buy health insurance. Poker pros don't get company health insurance. We have to buy our own health insurance. So now it's costing a lot more to do so. Our coverage is about the same. It's not like we're saving on coverage on the other side. And the truth is that most poker pros are on the younger side. So if you're an older poker pro, if you're 60 years old, uh, you might actually benefit from this. Maybe you couldn't get insurance before, and now you can. And now, if you develop some kind of medical problem, you can get treatment uh, without it uh, devastating your bankroll. Great! I'm happy for you. I know some people personally who don't have very much money, who've needed some treatments, and now are able to get them as a result of Obamacare. And that's great! And I'm very happy for them. But it didn't have to be exactly this way. I'm not against what they were trying to accomplish with Obamacare. 
I support the general concept of getting everyone insured, of everyone having a right to be insured, of the government helping out those who can't afford to get insured. I actually agree with those concepts. There, there are some Republicans who say, if you can't afford it, tough luck. Tough luck, you, you lose, you suffer. No, that's not fair. But this isn't fair either. And what happens is, with most poker pros being under 45, most of us are now paying more, getting the same as we were before, and we now have yet another cost, substantial cost every month that we did not have before. So definitely, I would say Obamacare has hurt most pro poker players. It has helped a few. It's helped the older ones. It's helped the ones who could not get approved for individual plans before from pre-existing conditions. These people all gained from it. I guess the poker pros who have gone broke and actually qualify for subsidies, I guess it helps them too. But the majority of poker pros have suffered from it. The majority of poker pros now have another expense that they have to cover. And this is not just specific to poker pros. This is specific to any individuals in business for themselves who are just getting by but doing well enough to where they don't qualify for a subsidy that now have another thing to contend with. So, I I think that... um, Healthcare needs a lot of additional reform. I'm not one who is advocating we go back to the way it was. Maybe sometime I'll do a positive EV show about the healthcare system and the way I think it should change. And and also tips I can give you on how to not get screwed up by it. it, it it's very complicated. It's very hard to understand. It's very hard to make the right decisions financially with it. Uh, It was kind of sad, and keep in mind this is after Obamacare was enacted. a terrible model. Imagine if you shopped for everything that way. Imagine if you bought a car and after you've committed to the car and can't return it, only then the dealer tells you the price, and you have to pay it. Imagine if you bought a house, and only after you buy the house do you find out how much you're going to pay for it. I mean, that'd be insane. That'd be ludicrous. But that's how our healthcare works for the most part. A lot of times, especially if you need something done in emergency, and I don't mean a dire emergency where you're going to die, I mean where you have to act fairly quickly. It is just about impossible to find out what you're going to pay out of pocket. It's just it's just extremely hard. It's extremely hard to find out what's covered not covered. And there's, frankly, a lot of things, especially tests in the healthcare industry that are way, way, way overpriced just because they can be, not because they need to be. And it's created a huge burden of cost upon our American society. 
That's where we need reform. We need the cost to come down, and we need patients to understand exactly what they're paying for before they get things done, unless it's a dire emergency to where they either aren't conscious enough to make the decision or or don't have time to. But for example, when they came to me in the emergency room in January and wanted to do an EKG on me, and I said, why do you want to do an EKG? And they said, well, because your pain is relatively near your heart. And I said, this has nothing to do with my heart. I know exactly what this is and isn't. This is related in some way to breaking my ribs. I either have internal injuries from breaking my ribs or I don't. I definitely do not have heart problems. I know exactly what is causing this pain. It's my ribs. Which is a matter of did my ribs damage something else. But I know they didn't damage my heart and even they didn't think it damaged my heart. But they just, their procedure was to always do an EKG if it's somewhere near your heart that you're feeling pain. So I said, no, I'm refusing it. It's an unnecessary test. And I saved the money. And indeed, this had nothing to do with my heart. And logically, there was no reason to suspect that. But most patients would have accepted the EKG and then gotten the stiff bill for it later. But I think if they approached each patient and said, an EKG is going to cost you this much money out of pocket, do you want to do it? Then you'll have some people saying, no, 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 or asking, why are you doing this? But right now, when people are getting treated, the the doctor says, do this, and they go, okay, I'll do it. And they say, well, the doctor must know best. Well, the doctor's not the one paying the bill. When you go get a car, or you you bring a car to be repaired, the mechanic is required to give you a written estimate before he actually does the work. This way he doesn't do work and then say, okay, you owe me this. And you go, well, I didn't know you were going to be doing all this. Well, that's what I had to do. Now you owe me $6,000. That used to be the way it was, and then they changed the law so you understand what you're paying for before the work is completed. And that's the way it should be with our bodies, with our health care. And in general, some of these out-of-control costs need to come down. But Obamacare is just kind of a shell game. It's just, it's just taking the existing high costs and, and many unnecessary tests and procedures, and it's just shifting around who pays for them. And you know who's paying for them? I am. And so are most of you who are buying individual plans, especially if you're younger than 45. So, I feel it addressed one problem, but didn't address the most important ones. And that is my rare political editorial on the show. Let me uh, give you the phone number one more time. Then we'll shut this down. It's 2 a.m., 2.15 a.m. Pretty late, but I started pretty late. 
775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can text me on that number. Call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. Otherwise, we're going to shut this down. You know, it's funny, this song here reminds me of my son, Benjamin, who saw me watching all the family this past week. And I don't know if you've ever seen the end credits of All in the Family. If you're around my age or older, you definitely have. It's uh, very memorable. It's uh, It starts out from where the Bunker's house is supposed to be located and then moves down the street. You see all the houses in Queens, New York. And then eventually uh, it rises up in the air over uh, Manhattan and pretty much all of New York. Symbolizing like you're leaving the Bunker's house. Anyway, Benjamin saw that and was interested in it. He's three years old now. And he asked what this was he was watching. So I told him it was New York. And I told him he had been there before when he was two years old. And now he really wants to go back to New York from seeing the All in the Family end song. See, here I am. The guy who's playing the All in the Family end song after every one of my radio shows to conclude the show. And then my son sees that same end song and wants to go to New York just because of it. I think that kid must be related to me. But now I kind of want to take him to New York. I kind of feel bad for not doing it. He's very excited about New York now, thanks to All in the Family, a show that was canceled about more than 30 years before he was born. Well, I hope the server does better next week. It's not going to do better on its own. I've got to fix it somehow. was not doing well tonight. I had to have a third-party chat room. Thank you to Seriously Serious for having the chat room in place of our chat room. We'll be back in five days, March 4th at 6.30 p.m. Server permitting. Jeez, if I can't get that fixed in five days, I'm going to freak out. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for sticking with me this late. Good night. And Shalom.